0: Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Krista Internet Radio. Today is Friday, July 2nd, 2021. Praise Yahweh to God of Israel, and thank you for being here. We decided this evening to have another open forum session and pray that at, at least many of our listeners join us and contribute to it. It won't be much of a program without contributors that's just the way it is we already have a few people here now and and i appreciate their presence hunter thank you for moderating this evening and everybody else thanks for being here how y'all doing
1: i'm all right bill i don't know how y'all is doing obviously how you doing joe there's James. Hey, James. Oh,
0: you get to speak first.
1: All right, then. All right, then. i got a question that we can open with, and my question for you, Bill, is how come you always use the KJV when you're um, quoting the Bible? Because a lot of times I'll be reading one of your um, papers, and I'll see you've quoted the KJV, and I'll, I'll think, what is that saying? What What's going on here? That doesn't make sense. And then I'll go and check another translation and realize, oh, okay, it's just the KJV.
0: Okay. Usually when I think it makes sense, I do use another translation, like usually the North American Standard Bible or, or sometimes the Christogene New Testament. If I know that the King James Version has errors, the uh, things that I perceive are mistakes that are too grievous. Oh, well, even with I, the
2: New
0: I quote Testament. the King James Version. I'm sorry, go on.
1: Oh, well... It, it, Sometimes I'll be reading you quoting from you know, like the New Testament and it'll be the KJV and I'll think, well, why didn't Bill quote his own works because I'm used to you know the racial language in and the KJV might have like Gentiles or it might have some other random word and', I'll th- and it'll, you'll have to go and check it and think why is it, you know why is it saying that? And then you check it and you're like, oh okay, it's that verse again, it's that word. You know, so even if you're quoting the New Testament, sometimes you'll quote the KJV.
3: Sorry, Bill, was getting feedback off of Joe. You might need to unmute yourself to answer that.
0: Yeah, I didn't hear that either. I'm sorry, I didn't know I was muted. I'm sorry, I didn't know I was muted. That's I'm going to have to watch. The um, I quote the King James New Testament very often because, especially when I started out on this endeavor 12 years ago, I was very often accused of writing my own Bible so that it would sound like Christian identity is true, or making my own Bible because that way I could prove Christian identity only with my own Bible. So whenever the King James Version has, whenever it does not have errors in it that are grievous, whenever I could use the king james version translation to illustrate my point i use the king james version translation now of course there's some verses where, where it departs from the greek and and makes errors that are so grievous that i prefer to use the Christian new testament but i try not to actually i want to be able to show that the king james version which it often does that it actually supports our arguments, and of course it often does. It's just those the few words like "gentile" that are unfortunate, or, or perhaps a dozen or so verses that are so badly translated that in those areas I can't use it. I hope that answers your question.
1: Yeah, it does, and it often does, you know, prove our points. But then I'll I'll be thinking about something deeper, and I'll just say, gee, that's a bad translation." What's What's the prophet saying there? That doesn't make sense. And then I'll go and check it, and I'll realize, "Oh, it's it's just the KJV."
0: <laughs> right. I understand that, but if I could prove my points with the King James version, it's just easier to stick to that, so that I I, I don't get accused of only being able to prove Christian identity from my own translation, especially the King James Version in Isaiah and Hosea and crucial books of the prophets such as those.
1: Well, well, as we've always pointed out, the KJV translators might have had a different perception of the word world and Gentiles may have been a really good choice for them at that time. But to us today, it it has a different it has different implications because we have the church as it is today, which has tra- changed a lot of the meanings of words for us to support their doctrine. So, when you realize those things, even when you're reading the KJV, CI often comes through strongly. Of course, it does.
0: Well, well, right, but sadly, most Judeo Christians never think on those terms. They just don't. They don't think in terms of sixteenth or seventeenth century English. That they don't. And and somebody in the chat pointed this out a couple of months ago, and I thought it was a very good observation. Yeah, you know, these sixteen eleven King James translators could not have believed that the world was the entire planet, because at that same time there were colonies being established in the Americas which were called the new world and their world was called the old world so so evidently the world did not mean the entire planet at that time Martin Luther and, and I pointed this out before I think it's in chapter 13 if I'm not mistaken of on the Jews and their lies I could find it if if I am mistaken but in that chapter he said that the gentiles in the whole world have accepted christ but in the same chapter he was talking about muslims and the islamic countries that were and and the ottoman turks that were at war with the poles in eastern europe as he wrote he wasn't including those muslims when he said the gentiles in the whole world had accepted christ so the muslims were not a part of his world So right, when you actually get into the mind when you can of those fifteenth and sixteenth century translators, then a different picture emerges. There's no doubt. I didn't want that to stop the conversation. Yes, no.
4: Well, I think that's a good point
0: because you always no no matter what
4: you're dealing with, you always have to put it in perspective. If you take it out of context or take it out of perspective, then you're going to have a skewed view of it. You're not going to have a a correct mindset whenever you're reading or looking at something. The translations of what time they were translated, you have to look at the way they looked at the world. So that's a very valid point.
1: Yeah, contextual errors. I don't
0: believe it's convenient. no go ahead, Bill. Go on,. I really believe it's convenient in the order of things for these pastors and and denominational churches not to teach you what these words had meant in the fifteenth and sixteenth centuries, not to teach you how the language changed and evolved that they want you to think that Jesus came for the whole
2: planet and elsewhere it says um go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Does that mean you preach to the horses and the cows?
0: A good well, well, right, it's ridiculous. Uh, I've established in several scriptures that that phrase should be, according to the Greek language, the whole creation, not every creature, because it's it's singular. And if it was every creature, the word for every or whole, which is pos, it could be either every or whole. If it's plural, it should be every. If it's singular, it's referring to one entity, to the whole of one thing, and it should be whole. And the word kathesis is singular. And the way that the apostles used that word creation or kathesis, they often used it of a unique creature within the greater creation. They didn't use it as the entire creation. And I actually wrote on that today in in my next commentary on the first epistle of John. I I wrote a paragraph on that because that in in Romans chapter eight, Paul was comparing the Adamic creature to other aspects of God's creation, calling them creatures or, or creations of their own, where a creation is one type or kind that God created. And, and not every kind in the overall creation. And that's Romans chapter 8, wh- where the Adamic creation is is compared directly to many other aspects or objects or phenomenon within God's creation, including angels and heights and depths and powers and things like that. Well, so the, the con-
4: Oh, go ahead, Daniel.
1: So the context is when it says, you know, preach the word to every creature. If you read that properly, it would be preach the word to the edemic creation, to every man, rather than horses and trees and bugs. Christ is saying preach the word, you know, the gospel is saying rather, preach the word to the edemic man.
3: Yes, to the whole creation.
1: Word. So
4: many people get messed up, and I know that that uh, all of us here on the forum tonight, we know and understand this, but for people that may be listening for the first time or haven't been around it a CI very long, if you don't keep things in context and in perspective, then it's easy to believe that Christ would have been a sand fleece if you look at what is over in that part of the the world now and put that race of people and and expect that Christ would look like them, then it's very easy to take that out of context and say, well, okay, Christ was an Arab.
0: uh, Well, well, that's what the Jews have been working hard to get people to believe.
4: Really, it's very important to do so keep it in context rather
1: well how can an arab be a creation because an arab is like two kinds mixed together you know so how can it actually be a creation it's it's like a mongrelization or a corruption as we say you know so they can't be a a creation of god or have an origin with god because his law is kind after kind for good reason right and we know that joe
4: the one but I was just making a a statement for those who may not, who may have just come into it and maybe first time hearing anything like this, that uh, to understand that you have to keep it in perspective or else you'll believe that whenever you sit down and read the Bible, especially the, uh, the, the King James Version, if you just sit down and read it and don't understand all the, at least part of the. Uh, translation errors that's in you don't have to understand all of them but if you don't understand at least some of the mistranslations and understand have a, a, a good foundation and a world view of the way things were 2000 years ago then you're going to look at look at the the map of the world and put the same people or so-called people, in those places that we have now.
0: Well, well that's true. And the Jews and, and the academics that follow them have tried very hard, very, very strongly these last 20 years to make people believe that Jesus was an Arab or a sand nigger and it's just false. It's very clear in ancient history that the world of the the Middle East and Near East at that time were white. It's uh, getting the average person to sit down and, and see the evidence and investigate the evidence that proves that is another story.
1: How could these experts not know that, Bill? Like, how could they actually believe that, say, Egypt has always been Arabs? Like, to even get an Arab, you need a white population there to start with. So how can they even believe this? Do you think they really – I just can't see how they – I think they're lying. Like
0: They've even twisted the meaning of the Arab. The verb Arab means to grow dark. It doesn't mean to be dark. The word Arab is very clearly used in, in many contexts in the Old Testament to mean something mixed. And even the King James translators understood that when they read those Hebrew words that mean, <clears throat> that mean to refer to a, a mixed group of people. And, and in the book of Exodus, they translated that correctly as mixed multitude. So the King James translators understood that the word Arab, when speaking of people, actually means mixed. And that's how Arabia got its name, because it was tribes of Amorites and, and Jactanites and Midianites and, and Havilah and, and several other Cushites or or Ethiopians, if you want to call them that, and and several other races that were inhabiting Arabia that at very early times began to intermingle and mix with one another until the whole place was simply referred to as Arabia because it was all mixed. And all of those distinct tribal identifications were lost and they were lost by the time of Isaiah. They were lost. And the word Arabia, I think, first appears in the Bible in the words of Solomon. So that's how early. In in First Kings chapter ten, in reference to Solomon. So that's how early those tribes that were at one time distinct from one another. If you look back at the Book of Judges, they were all distinct. And then four or five hundred years later, in the time of Solomon, we had this word Arabia appears for the first time in Scripture, because all those. They so mixed up by then that they didn't merit their individual names any longer. So they were often simply called Arabia. Then by the time of Christ, it was way far worse. So that was a gradual process that took many thousands of years. First, the, a breakdown in the identity between the tribes and the white and Canaanite tribes And then, with the rise of Islam and the importation of Negroes, that's what really darkened Arabia. We're getting some bad background from somebody. Hello.
3: Ah, yeah. It looks like it's uh I don't know. Linda. Um, but uh to the I'm hearing it but I doing it. It's Linda. But um there, can we mute Linda? Back to the original thing of uh Using the KJV instead of the CNT, it's it is kind of annoying for people who don't want to accept it. Like you're saying, people were saying, uh, "You wrote your own Bible to prove CI," and it's like uh, you've you've made all of your arguments for why this is translated this way or that way, and the texts, the older texts that you've used to get to that conclusion, which the KJV didn't even have. Uh, But people will just cling, I guess, and it's very annoying.
0: Even if they use it, it's annoying because people. I'm sorry. It's annoying because people believe what they want to believe, and then they will construct arguments defending what they believe.
1: You don't even have
4: to. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Uh, well you don't even have to follow your translation Bill, you can just use a bible dictionary you know so it's not like some controversial thing if they just if you just hand them a bible dictionary and go check the word in the dictionary that they'd come to the same conclusion but they won't even do that they'll just
0: you know chimp out and
5: I just wanted to say... I well, well right. Every one of my
0: translations, if you look up the Greek word in the Bible dictionary, you'll see that I, I translated it appropriately. I mean, maybe maybe an argument can be formulated over context, where a certain words should mean certain things in certain contexts, but most of them even aren't, aren't really good arguments.
4: I was just going to say, I like it that, uh, Bill, that you followed the King James a lot just because it's the most common and so many, I'd say the vast majority of people that come to CI uh, have probably read the King James uh, because that's what pretty much everybody reads. You know, you got the New American Standard, some people follow that, and, and one translation or another, but the King James is the most it's out there, the most prevalent. And by following that to a certain extent, it it's harder for people to argue with it, I would say.
0: Even you know years ago maybe 12 years ago i wrote an article because people were asking me why i quoted the king james version in some of my commentaries. And my answer was that the King James version is sort of like the water if you're a resident of New York City. And no matter where you go in New York City, from Staten Island to to Queens, the water sucks. But everybody knows what they're getting when they turn the faucet on because it's the same everywhere. Everybody knows that it tastes horrible and, and that it's terrible. But wherever you go, you know what you're getting. And you're comfortable with that because you're familiar with it. So that's the King James version to me. It sucks, but everybody's drinking it. Well, well, exactly, right. That's the way it is. If I could change it, I would. I'd substitute my own translation tomorrow, but I can't. So I, I, I won't try. Of course, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament I like to change, too. Did you have
1: something to say, Dasher?
5: Uh, no, I just, I just wanted to add that I think it's pretty bold of anyone to claim that Bill's written his own Bible to prove his version of Christianity when that's exactly what Catholicism, the Orthodoxy, and mainline Protestantism have done. They they have they have done exactly
0: that thing. So,
1: yeah, right.
5: Well,
0: well that's a good point, Dasho, and it's exactly true. But because they invented new words in order to write their own Bible, they brought words over from Latin and from Greek into English, rather than using the English translations of ethnos or. Episcopus or words like that where where they used the Latin word bishop in its place so that they could uphold this title of authority in, in their own in 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 the way that they wanted to, where that's not the way that the New Testament describes that that Position or that title of authority that they use that word Gentile to make a a, a separate class of people distinct from Jews and use that word in, in a false way in ways that it never meant the first century. So you're right. They not only wrote their own Bible versions, but they coined new words to support false concepts.
3: Would a uh, Godhead be in that same category? I figured it would be,
0: yes, Godhead is in that same category it's a It's an artificial word to take Greek words that mean divinity or what belongs to God and and translate it in their own artificial way to create a false construct that doesn't exist in the ancient world. The construct of a Godhead does not exist in the scriptures. The, the concept of divinity or the state of being God, which is what the word really means, that exists, but that only belongs to God, to one God, not to three, where it could be divided into parts. They've created a false construct.
1: It's funny to me how they'll call Bill the Pope who's writing his own Bible, yet they're like Catholics who worship the Pope and actually have a Pope and actually have a church structure, whereas we have no church structure, and we actually just use Bible dictionaries, whereas they don't like Bible dictionaries. So it's like everything they say about
3: us is true about them. Well, all their popes but are how dead, am and my apparently are pop- the apostles.
5: It's not, it's not okay to be a pope um, one unless God. you are literally a pope. Then it's fine.
6: Bill is literally Hitler. I guess.
0: Pope Hitler. Pretty cool. Well, that's another how point. Am I... Sorry, Bill. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just want to say, how am I a pope? I'm one man who has some opinions about the Bible, after studying it for 25 years, I guess that don't matter, who has some opinions of, about the Bible, writes commentaries, and posts those opinions on a website. And I have a forum where people are invited to discuss it. How does that make me a pope? I'm just one guy. It doesn't, I don't use it any titles of authority, authority. People have to
4: slander things that they disagree with, don't understand, or things that they hate. So it the the uh, Bill think Pope Fink, or Pope Bill or Pope C I. It's just a bullshit argument. It doesn't mean anything because they whoever. Says well, that well you know what? I got for them.
0: I got something for them, James. When Pontius Pilate asked Christ, Are you the king of the Judeans? Christ said, So you say. <laughs> so when they call me Pope think I'm gonna say, So you say. <laughs> there you
1: go. Well, it's not just well, the way they um you you know, they um mistranslate words and make contextual errors. It's their whole approach to the Bible because what they'll do is um you ask a Trinitarian, give me an interpretation of Isaiah nine six, and they can't do it because if they, they interpret it properly, without pretense, the tr- the Trinity's done, it's gone. And then you cross reference that to John fourteen nine, where Christ identified himself as the Father. So then you've got two witnesses that cro- the identity of Christ. Who is Christ? The question is, who is Christ? He is the Father. That's what Isaiah says, and so they have the wrong methodology, not just their whole approach to the scripture, not just words and things like that. Their whole approach is flawed. It's not logical, and that's why we constantly tell people, you have to learn this approach for yourself so that you can study for yourself. We don't need a pope. We need people studying for themselves and understanding this methodology, which Holds the Bible as the authority because if you don't have that um, respect for the Bible, you'll just throw out Isaiah nine six and you won't you won't care and you'll 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 in, make interpretations of other verses and you'll say and um they won't be valid because to have a valid interpretation of the scriptures you need to account for all of the scriptures you need Isaiah to agree. With things that Christ said. You can't make Christ disagree with his own prophets, which is what the, these Trinity kids do all the time. And it, it's retarded. They need something, they need to be logical and systematic and respect the Bible.
4: And also, um, <clears throat> to add to that, Joe, uh, a Pope is the leader, of course, of the Catholic Church. And all the Catholics look to the Pope to tell them what to think and what to believe and what
1: to do. They can't think for themselves, hey? Eh? They can't think for right. themselves. We're, whereas it's We're not that the, hard. If you just yeah. learn a basic methodology where you um keep heather, everything in context and you, you interpret them together, you want Isaiah to agree with Christ, to uphold the authority of God and uphold the um authority of the scriptures. You want them all to agree. You don't want interpretations that all disagree with each other because that's not valid. That's not um, the proper way to do anything. It, do- it doesn't even make logical sense to do that. To You would have to claim that God contradicts himself or that Christ contradicts his prophets or that Paul contradicted Christ. And then why even, why even make any claim whatsoever about the Bible because you obviously don't believe in it. So, I think that,
6: right. um,
4: and then it, if if um, they want to call Bill the CI Pope, uh, Bill doesn't demand that we uh, agree with him.
1: The Bible's where, the Pope, where, isn't where, it? It's uh, not that Bill's the Pope; it's that the Bible is the Pope. If you want to say the Pope, right, you know well, the we authority
4: about, you know, but. Uh, the where you draw the line is if you're blaspheming Yahweh, blaspheming Christ, or if you're starting heresies. W- once you do that, then the line's drawn in the sand.
6: Look, you know what? what's interesting is, okay, they tried to update the King James Version with the NASB and, and other versions because they realized that it was antiquated English. But when they did that, they were still looking at doctrine through the lens of judeo-christianity so they couldn't be completely honest but sometimes they were when they would they would make a a translation that was more accurate so they were really stuck because nobody would publish it if they were really um academically honest about it or did a lot of research so that's why it's interesting to, to to look at how the different versions you can see that (laughs) These people were struggling with what they were writing, the newer ones, I'd say, anyway, since 1611.
1: They all upheld each other like a big you know, club where they're like, oh, we know it's wrong, but we're just going to uphold the KJV anyways.
6: Yeah, and another thing you mentioned, uh, Joe, about people can't think for themselves is mostly because they're involved with pop culture, right? Pop culture thinks for you, right? All this entertainment thinks for you. So as long as uh, white people these days don't want to, or refuse to shut that out of their life, they're they're not going to be able to think for themselves, not truly.
3: D- Dasho's making some good points in the chat here. You want to say him,
0: Dasho? Yeah, let Dasho speak. Thanks for coming, Dasho.
5: Oh, you're welcome. Uh, I was just typing in the chat that... Fundamentally, these people are authoritarians in the literal sense of the term. They look to authority to dictate what they believe. They see, they see Bill as the authority of Christogenia and Christian identity, so they attack and insult his authority because that's really all they know. Really all they, know. they, they, they can't yeah, imagine. There's a someone lot of people.
0: Say, with Christian identity. I'm sorry. Go on.
5: No, I was just, I was just going to say they can't imagine someone saying the Pope is wrong without having authority equal to a Pope. I think the Pope's wrong. When when when's the uh, the Pope dasho insults coming?
0: Right. The Pope's when? When's the Pope been right? I I don't know the last time the Pope's been right. That the the. the the, the slanders of Pope Fink are, are just uncalled for, but they're giving me more authority than I, I deserve or that I would ever claim to have by calling me Pope Fink. They're doing it, not me. That, that's why I repeat the words of Christ, repeat the words of Christ that he said to Pilate. So you say, so you say, that's okay. There's a lot of old timers and, and people in Christian identity just despise me. It, it's this—the whole um, West Coast Pete Peters gang, Ted Wheeland, um, Stephen Jones. There's a lot of people that are CI that would just hate me, and and a lot of them have heard of me, and they do hate me.
3: And every time they claim they, they're to, they're stuck in that. that um,
0: every time they claim- they, they're stuck in Sheldon Emery's one seed line sort of CI light universalism. They're comfortable there.
1: Yeah, they don't like exterminationism, because, which means they don't like the prophets. You know, they want to imagine that heaven's going to be multicultural or multiracial, which is disgusting. So they're commies.
5: I'd like to but, ask them whose children they think Christ is killing in Revelations and why is Christ killing those children? Yeah. <laughs> the, well, they, just
4: the, the reason is they can't figure out. They have to have a way to explain how the other races got here instead of saying, admitting that they don't know. See, that would take admitting ignorance in a, in a sense. Okay? Yeah, you got to show me the verse. Of everybody, everybody, Bill, me, you, everybody are ignorant of the way that the other creatures, not creations, but these other races... Got here. We don't know for a hundred percent fact how they were created, and those people would have to admit that they don't know. And so that, well, that would be that would be a fault on their side of because they can't say they can sit there and say, "Oh, we know all this about the about the Bible," but oh, where the blacks come from? Hey, Bill, tell me where where was the first black person born?
1: Yeah, that's funny.
0: Hell, <laughs> what well, what a turkey! That was yeah, right, he is a turkey?
1: Yeah, he is a clown. He's butt hurt now, and he's he's trolling us. That Jim Rizzoli He just sounds like an idiot. I tried to ask him, "Hey, Jim, you ever studied the Bible in depth? Do you actually know what you're talking about?" He doesn't know.
3: But that's a good point that James he brings up. His- a Bible. Yeah, a Bible guy.
4: They would have to. Admit I don't know why, why we have some. Truth. And they, right. their, their ego cannot uh, afford them to do such.
1: Well, that's another good point you made before, though, James, about proving things and knowing what you can prove and what you can't prove, and knowing what you know and what you don't know. That's very important to us too, in our methods. You know, our approach to scripture, which upholds the Bible. We know what God told it wanted us to know. And there are things we don't know. We don't know exactly how the devils came into the world. We just know they're not from God. So that's another important thing.
4: I think the fact that they hold no regard for the Old Testament is literally their excuse to be able to make up any heresy they possibly could. Just disregarding the Old Testament, and then you don't have to worry about that. All the prophecies that
6: contradict their beliefs.
0: Well, well, I have to admit that the exterminationist angle—if you want to call it exterminationism, right—I uh, mean, that's basically what it is. So I'm, I'm fine with that. The exterminationism angle was developed as I was studying the Septuagint and the Greek to Peter and Jude at the same time. Back in 2003, 2004, and going back and forth with this with Clifton. And the result of that was his Angels Chained in Darkness papers. So this extermin it's new to CI. When, when I got out of prison, I don't, I don't remember how many years ago, maybe six, eight, 10 years ago, I actually did a podcast showing. That Wesley Swift and Bertrand Comperay were on the fence or 50-50 or they vacillated back and forth on the exterminationist issue. They really did. They didn't grab it by the horns and read the scripture and believe Obadiah and Jeremiah and, and similar prophecies that tell us that exterminationism is where God is at. It's his. He's the exterminationist. So it, it was about that same time, maybe two thousand three, that that I realized that the only possible plausible explanation for the other races is for the origin of the other races is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's simply because that is their destiny. Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. If that's their destiny, that must be their origin because everything God created is good. And Clifton came into that through a different way through the parable of the net. And, And he was the first one that wrote about that In relation to the parable of the net, that if everything Yahweh God created was good, how do you have these bad kinds of fish if everything he created was good? So where did the bad kind come from? And the only plausible explanation, once again, is corruption and and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the corruption of the fallen angels and all the enemies of God that have created these other races, and I believe that to this day. And and the Scripture supports that. That's the story that the Scripture's telling. Who do we believe? Do we believe our own hearts and and our empathy for these non-Adamic people, or do we believe the Scripture? I Obadiah think I says who very plainly. I'm sorry. Obadiah says very plainly, they shall be as though they had not been. Jeremiah says very plainly, I will make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered you. So, how do we not believe the scripture?
1: Then, how can Christ be a kinsman with all people? If he's a kinsman redeemer, and that's the law, how can he redeem anyone who's not his kinsman? And there's different races, they agree, you know, he has to only redeem his kinsmen and he can only redeem things that were his fathers in the first place these are the race israel was god's special possession that so christ can only under under the law redeem israel how can he possibly redeem all these other races if you've got these laws of kind after kind and the law of the kinsman redeemer is he going to break his own law to create
0: some commie hell hole It's not going to. Do well, that. of course not. But the Eli Jameses, the Eli Jameses of the world, look for an avenue where the non-Adamic races can continue to exist outside of that redemption. That would make God <laughs> an adulterer too. Well, well, right, exactly. It would make God an adulterer and a fornicator. Because yeah. he's accepting the products of adultery and fornication
1: and because he's the bridegroom, he's the bridegroom of Israel, and he's not gonna he's not going to go marry another another race. why would he even marry a race that's corrupt anyways, like the husband has the right to choose a wife that has um no 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 such great sin no you know no corruptions in her. You know, and we're told in the end that the wife would have made herself clean and that sort of thing. How can a non-white be clean? So he's not going to choose them. He's not going to marry them. No way. I don't know. I think that these people also have the same, the wrong method. Just like these Trinitarians, all these people who hate us, they're not even willing to learn, you know, to even listen to what we say about being logical about our approach to the Bible.
3: Uh, what, what do these people say, Uh about what the vengeance of God is going to be. I'm just going to go spank them, and then he's going to say, okay, you can exist over there.
1: You know what I think it is, F I I think it's going to be, they say it's going to be believers versus unbelievers, which doesn't even make sense because then everyone will just be like, oh, no, 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 don't don't exterminate us. We, we'll believe now. We can see, you know, just don't exterminate us. We yeah. believe now, and then they wouldn't be exterminated. So how does it make He's dividing cool. by ethnos. <laughs> In Matthew 25, ethnos, not, you know, <laughs> and yeah, he yeah, says, gonna, later, he, he says later, not everyone who says they believe, um, you know, he'll tell some of them to depart. I never knew you. Right. So we're going to convert the Muslims in the mosque down the street. How,
4: that's what I was going to bring up, Joe. Uh, how would, how can that even make sense if, if Christ, you know, if, get away from me, I never knew you depart from me I never knew you that's that's a pretty bold statement so if he's going to say depart from me I never knew you that's not accepting anybody except the people that he knew
1: hey James I got a Bible verse for you Psalm 22 says thou art my God from my mother's belly how can a baby believe anything You know, so I'm thinking, you know, how can it be belief if thou art my God from my mother's belly, from my birth, from my origin? You know, you are my God from my very origin, from my very birth. How's that belief?
4: Well, it's not possible unless you're a creation of Yahweh.
1: Or unless you can teach a baby something. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe the baptism, you you know, in the church or something. It's it's totally possible.
4: How are you able to take a, a bastard and say that uh, he's a creation of Yahweh from his mother's womb? That's not possible.
1: Exactly. That's his race. Just
4: uh, just take that from a well, well, the, take that from a different uh, perspective and say, uh, take Christ and take Yahweh out of it, uh, you know. I'm yours from my mother's belly or womb. Uh, A man can't, uh, a child can't say that about another man from a, you just Joe blow off the street and say, Oh, I'm your kid. That's not possible. The guy'd be wanting some DNA. (laughs) Prove it.
0: The the people, the, the the CI people, the Christian Lantanian people that reject, what they call exterminationism, they are denying half of the scripture. They're denying Revelation chapter 2. They're denying Jeremiah, Isaiah, Obadiah. They're denying half the scripture. They're denying Revelation chapter 19. And they're trying to add to Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Because at the end of time, there's going to be nobody left but Israelites. That's the city of God. The city of God isn't like a like a, um, a, Lego plant, a Lego construction that floats down from heaven. The city of God is the people. The people are the city of God.
1: Just like the ecclesia. You know, that's another word, ecclesia. It isn't some church institution. It's the people.
3: And, and Bill, those are the people I was asking about. Like, what, what do they say? Is the wrath of God or the vengeance of God? What is He going to do? Spank the other races who are bad and send them off onto their other continent while we have the kingdom come down
1: and let them go back to their own lands right. or They're something? It's just
3: to come down. It's
0: just... They're expecting the kingdom to come down. Christ said it's already among us or in you. It says in the King James. It should say among you.
3: Well, no, I mean the people who are against the exterminationism. It's like, what do you think God's God's vengeance is?
2: You can't. Uh, the elites. It's
1: not a race. They they probably think it's like the elites or the mean people at the top of their society. And and when you ask them, who's that? Who's that? Oh, just bad people who don't believe or something. You know, I don't. But then you have to wonder. Well, what's eternal contempt, contempt in Daniel? And what's the um the people who have no good works, who are preserved, yet, you know, their works are tried by fire and they have no good works, so they have no reward. They have no reward in the kingdom. You know, wouldn't wouldn't that be the fate of a bad white person rather than the bad white person going to hell or being exterminated? Or, I guess that's what they believe. I mean, that's what um, Christians for Truth seems to believe. Those clowns, they seem to think that some white people are going into the lake of fire. That's what they think exterminate. Think That's their extermination, are. and it's unjust, whereas our extermination is just because it, it's um, the, the justice of God is that his creation is preserved, and that which isn't his creation isn't preserved, and it maintains the authority and sovereignty of God in that he can't make a mistake. If he purposes something, it's done because it's the will of God, whereas these clowns imagine that God could have made a mistake and created some white folk who are going to hell, and that's their their version of it. They they definitely believe in exterminationism. It's just an unjust, unbiblical, and abhorrent version of exterminationism, whereas our version of exterminationism is just, and it's according to the law.
5: I just want one of so these Christ, people to explain to me whose children are getting killed and why Jesus is killing them. That's all I want an answer to. None of them can ever give you an answer to it.
1: Christ is just. He's not unjust. He's if he's exterminating children, it's going to be just and it's going to be according to the law. It's not going to be oh they were they were bad kids who I didn't like who were a you know who were white or anything like that. I don't believe in white people being exterminated. I believe in the mercy and justice of God.
5: Jesus is gonna kill all of the snotty kids who didn't believe in Santa Claus and gave their parents sass. True story. You heard it here first first, folks.
2: That's what Christians betray. That's what they
3: it's, it's yeah, probably even worse. Joe.
5: Believe in Santa or you're going to hell.
3: It's probably even worse because they're probably saying, Oh, that's bastards, you know. If you have sex with before marriage, before this priest says you're married, that kid's gonna get killed.
1: Yeah, that's horrible. I, I think they do say that, because yeah. I went on a, an academic venue, and that's what they were saying.
4: Well, I, I, that's no, what they're I saying. Side... Oh, sorry, Bill. Go ahead.
0: That The Scripture teaches that fornication is the pursuit of strange or different flesh, where the Church teaches that fornication is sex outside of marriage. But the Scripture teaches that sex that marriage is sex that if you're having sex you're getting married unless you're committing adultery so Man. if you're not committing adultery or fornication then you're getting married when you're having sex so there's no such thing as sex outside of marriage unless it's fornication or adultery or, or sodomy which is only another sort of fornication so they're technically So right. the, that's the church <laughs> teaching the church teaching is contrary to the scripture right from the beginning where they consider fornication sex outside of marriage, but they don't make marriage. God does, and marriage happens in a bed, not at an altar. That There's not one legitimate marriage in, in the Bible that happened at an altar.
5: I'm I'm glad, Bill, that you mentioned that it, it's it's a church problem because it is. Like this this whole argument about who's saved and who's not, what what salvation is, and and what counts for it. This is only an argument because because Catholicism and the Orthodoxy and all of these these pagan priests who converted to Christianity wanted to bring race mixing into the Christian community. But they they couldn't, so they had to redefine what what a Christian was, who could have salvation and who couldn't. Right? Once you once you stop looking at it at a, at a racial level, you have to accept. You, you have no choice. You have to accept this idea that that God will send you to hell for not believing in Him, even though He created you. Right? Like it's you you have to end up with a schizophrenic God who is contradicting Himself. It's and, and it's, I just. There's no other way around it if if you follow their doctrine. You you can't
4: It's to keep you locked in. Yeah.
5: And and it's the same thing with the right, marriage thing, right? They can't imagine they can't imagine marriage that's not condoned by a priest. Their their entire conception of marriage is marriage that's approved by the church and the state and the government, but that's never been the way it's worked in the Bible. Not ever.
2: Right, exactly.
0: But today people don't want to believe that sex is marriage because they've gone around and, and, and had sex with 30, 40 other people, and they don't want to believe they've been married 30 or 40 other times or committed adultery 30 or 40 other times because they want to see marriage as that government license, and they want to have all the sex they they can until they get that government license. So they're basically, they're all serial adulterers. Destroying the land through welcome order. to pop culture
1: and you know uh, that verse that Dasho keeps referring to that that says in it that the reason those children are being killed is because they were born of fornication, so it is just it 's they 're born of fornication it, and it doesn 't mean they were you know their parents weren 't married well if right. god is and going to kill
0: everybody in history that never had parents with the wedding certificate, well, wedding certificates weren't even issued until the 19th century. So everybody born before the 19th century was born of fornication. Churches in England didn't even get involved in the marriage process until like the 16th century, when the, when the king started requiring the churches not to conduct marriages, but to record them. Just like they recorded birth certificates and baptismal certificates, they would start recording marriages. That happened in like the 16th century, maybe the 17th. It was late. I went back and forth on this with Mark Downey. There's a whole chain of or or threadful of posts on this topic in the Christogenea forum somewhere. I don't remember exactly where, but... I I researched marriage in the Middle Ages that the churches didn't even get involved in it until the 17th or 18th century. What used to happen was two people would arrange to be married at Home, maybe their parents would arrange it depending on circumstances. And once they got married at home, then they went and stood in front of the church where everybody in the community would gather. And that's why they did it there only because they would see everybody in the community that day and they would announce to them that they were now married, but they didn't get married in church. Once the kings of England demanded that the churches record their marriages, that opened the door for the churches to get involved in marriages.
4: And that opens up a whole new debate on, or not new debate, it's a very old debate, uh, but the marriage deal, that just opens up the door to talking about feminism.
0: Well, if you really want to go that route, I mean, the government has empowered feminism when the governments got involved in marriages, but that didn't happen until the 19th century that governments right. started getting involved in marriages. Here in the U.S., that's though, relatively.
4: I don't, I don't know much about the way it's perceived in Europe or UK or whatever, but here in the U.S., marriage is a very feminine thing the uh the government sanctioned marriage
0: that is I don't like the white space i'll I'll erase most of it later but i um I was looking at when the first marriage licenses were issued in the United States, but it didn't happen until the mid nineteenth century.
5: Weren't marriage licenses in the United States originally a way to crack down on race mixing? I seem to recall that yeah. as being, that was the reason why, is because race mixing was illegal.
0: You know, I believe that was probably part of it, because race mixing was illegal in most states. It, it was also um, venereal disease and things like that, that they used as excuses. <sighs> In Massachusetts, marriage licenses were required since sixteen thirty nine, but in most other states it didn't happen until the mid nineteenth century. So my my point is this that everybody who who was born before there was before there were church marriages must be a bastard. So so that shows the folly of the modern church doctrine. The Apostle Paul would be a bastard. His parents didn't have a marriage licenses. The Romans didn't issue marriage licenses. His parents didn't get married in a church. In fact, when Paul was born, they didn't even have a church. <laughs> they only had synagogues. <laughs> they didn't do marriages in synagogues. Well, that they they, they,
3: they that with the wedding feast of Canaan and such.
0: Yeah, they had wedding feasts. And if you read the scripture, even Laban had, had a feast with Jacob before he received the wrong woman. That they made a feast.
1: He might have been the right woman because he she had more kids than anyone.
0: Genesis chapter 29, verse 22. And Laban gathered together all the men at the place and made a feast and it came to pass in the evening that a priest came and married them at a makeshift altar. No, I'm kidding. That did not happen, right? The next verse says, and it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. So Leah became his wife, even though Jacob had bargained for Rachel. So the fact is that when he had sexual intercourse with Leah, he recognized her as his wife and kept her as his wife. That was the right thing to do, even though he had worked seven years for Rachel, not for Leah. He was deceived. So Jacob recognized his marriage to Leah through the act of sexual intercourse. He didn't bargain for her. He didn't make any contract for her, no agreement for her. He had sex with her. Laban tricked him, and he knew that he was married to Leah and he kept her. He did the right thing. Yeah, well, otherwise so, marriage he just happened. Said, in the- I'm sorry, James.
4: I was just going to say otherwise. He'd have just said, Oh, my marriage license says uh, I was supposed to get Rachel, not Leah.
0: Well, right. But he worked seven more years for Rachel. He wanted her. But he kept Leah and accepted Leah because he, he had sex with
1: you know, that so so the Catholic
0: for... position, the Roman Catholic position on fornication and marriage is absolutely contrary to the biblical position. And it's contrary to history. Because if the Catholics are right about bastards, then everybody born before the mid-18th century are bastards. And most of the people born since then, because most people, I would bet, have not been born or conceived anyway. Under a marriage license. It's actually even worse than that because Or under a church. I'm sorry, Bill. Go ahead, Dasha.
5: Eh? Oh, no, go ahead, Dasha. I was go only adding say,
0: church weddings to the marriage.
5: I was gonna say it's even worse than that because if you accept their definition of a bastard, the, the scripture explicitly says that a bastard won't be accepted into the congregation of the Lord even after a hundred generations have passed. And a generation is twenty years which means, you know, that's, that's what 2000 years. So, so uh, if, if approximately if, if the, uh, if, if the church positions to be believed, if the Catholics are right, that there have been no Christians and no legitimate marriages in the last 2000 years, anyone, anyone who's, who's related to a bastard. If, if you were related to anyone who was a bastard, you're not a bastard. It's going to take 2000 years for that to go away.
1: Well, I think that verse. Where it well, says well ten true, but I think it says ten
0: generations, and it means it forever. says ten generations, it, but it's still true.
1: It means forever, doesn't it's it, tense, I mean, it, it? It's ten. but it's still true. Even after, so even out the tenth generation, right. I mean, they're still a bastard. So it, it's it means forever. It's like well, once
0: it's you saying, understand that a bastard, once you understand that a bastard is the product of race mixing. And, and you could see that, that 10th generation, and it says may, even forever, that 10th generation is really only an idiom for forever. It really is. Because a bastard is race mixed, and after nine generations, it's still a bastard. You can't clean that up. So, yeah, yeah it's you- basically forever. But you're right. You're right that if one generation skips a a, um, a a marriage at the altar, then for nine generations you're still a bastard, even if your nine generations of your parents were married in church. So you're right, Dasho. It makes no sense whatsoever. Just to get the whole church doctrine it. on, and bastards is absurd.
5: Yeah, And that's and that's where they get themselves James. in trouble because they, they make these interpretations that aren't based on scripture and it forces them to make more interpretations to try and make their other interpretations make sense. And before you even realize it, they've written an entirely separate Bible. They've written a dozen different compendium books you have to read to make sense of anything. And then the people who listen to those people accuse you of writing your own Bible. And it's all very, terribly ironic.
0: Uh. Just that. It sounds bit. kind of like that. That Bible sounds kind of like the IRS law code, that the IRS code, or, or the congressional legal code, or the Talmud.
4: With the, the uh,
0: Talmud, that's the that's the root. That's the root of it all. It really is.
1: Hey, Bill, if you weren't right about these marriage laws, you know that it, sex is marriage then why would we have those things about, you know, the virginity checks? Like if a man takes a woman and finds out she's not a virgin and, you know, the blood on the sheets and all that, you know, how would that make sense if marriage was some sort of license after she's already had, you know, 40, 40, probably more guys, you know, so it has to be the way we say it is because otherwise the virginity check wouldn't even make sense. It's sex is marriage, and that's why. Well, we that's what
3: distinguishes.
0: Check. That's what distinguishes us from "quote unquote" normies. There are real differences between us, or at least most of us, and normies. And the, the normies interpret everything along the lines of pop culture. If pop culture says it's okay, then it must be cool. And they could go out and, and pick up 50 chicks in, in nightclubs this year and go to bed with them before they get married to their girlfriend. And it's okay. It's good because they weren't married. So they didn't commit adultery. That's the way they think.
1: One day they might get
0: married. I, I've kids. had men actually get I've had, I've had men actually get offended with me when they found out that they've been married to 20 or 30 different women. They get offended with me. And they're the serial adulterers, not me.
5: There, there, there are few institutions in marriage that are, are more subversive than the idea of the bachelor party or the bachelorette party. It's, it's, it's them coming, coming with you to try and, to try and catch you out. Right. Right. Well, you've almost, you've almost made it to a proper marriage and under the eyes of God, we'll get you on the night before though. We'll, we'll make, we'll make you an adulterer one way or the other.
0: I've never liked those either. And that's probably exactly what they do, but I've never been to one in my life. Honest. Honestly, Even before I was CI, it was like too, it was too early.
5: Honestly, I, I feel as a man, if, if, a, if a woman that you were going to marry, if she wanted to have a bachelorette party, I, I, would, I would ask her, are you sure you want one? And if she insisted, I'd call the marriage off.
0: Right. I, I agree. I've heard enough about what goes on at those things. I totally agree. If she could justify that, then she could justify practically anything. And the guys, too. Because bachelor parties from everything I've heard are just whoredom.
1: It's like my last night as a free man and I'm going to be a total whore and then somehow the next day I'm going to be a faithful
0: husband. Right, Joe. That's a good analogy because it's ludicrous. It really is. It's ridiculous. But I've really never been to a bachelor party in my life It's 60. So I guess I missed. I missed out. But I don't think I'm missing anything, to be honest.
1: They say it, They see it as, oh, goodbye to my old life. Oh, now I'm going to get the ball and chain. That's how they see it. Huh. Was goodbye that mo- to the parties. Oh, now I'm going to get married. Oh, well. Was Party's that, over.
4: Uh, Party's that over, one. guys. I was at one bachelor party, and uh, me and my best man drank a beer, and my brother, and my soon-to-be brother-in-law, we all sat around and drank a beer together, and that was the end of it.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't think that was his bachelor party. (laughs) I wonder where the bachelor party started, eh? Probably America. You Americans.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, well, the point, Dasho's point is valid. That Pop culture and the whole perception of marriage are, are just convoluted. But we know that. Brought to you by those same Roman Catholic and Orthodox uh, people. Accept the Trinity and insist you be baptized in water to be justified.
1: I love Americans, by the way. I was just joking. Just having a job would be a friendly jab.
0: A jab.
5: (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I was raised Baptist, and I still never understood the whole argument behind baptism. It never made any sense to me. I can't help but wonder how many other Baptists there are out there who just go along with it because everyone says you should. It it really doesn't make any sense to me, even when I've had it explained to me. It never did.
1: It always seemed like a magic spell to me. Like we're going to do this little magic spell, and after we do our little magic spell, you know, mm-hmm. you'll be a child, You'll be transformed. <laughs> Their little magic spell can transform a nigger into a man. It's magic.
0: Well, well, they really believe that, and and most of the American Protestants I've met whether they were Church of God, or, or Baptists, or Anabaptists, or whatever, they remember very fondly the day they were saved, which is quite often the day they were baptized for the first time.
4: I was told years ago by a, a Baptist that uh, you'll never forget the day that you're saved. And for years, uh, even though I wasn't raised in a, a church, but for quite a few years after that, because I I liked the person and I believed him, uh, you, you'll you'll always remember the day that you're saved. And I went several years thinking well, I must not have been saved because I don't I have, I have no recollection of this, this epiphany that come upon me that, oh, now I'm saved. It's just it's It's a strange thing to to believe that you have to be dunked in water or go through this ritual and now you're saved
0: instead of being well, well of right, I agree it's absurd, it's contrary to scripture and the truth is that we were all saved on the same day if we're Israelites we were all saved on the same day 2000 years ago
4: yeah and that's what makes sense but when you're sitting there saying "Oh, was I saved was I not am I still you know we all sin sure but okay uh, I thought I was saved but am I That that doesn't make no sense If you look at it through scripture, that doesn't make any sense at all. It's just a, it's another way to fleece the flock, basically.
1: One day you forgot to wear your tie to church, James, and so you're not saved anymore. Uh Yeah, right. You forgot to do up your top button on your shirt, you know, so you're not saved because you came to church with a shirt that wasn't buttoned up all the way.
0: Yeah, you just got to respond. Or you said a a bad word. So now today you're a child of the devil. Yeah, right. You you're can be saved. Around. You
1: can be saved
4: one day, one day, and 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 go to hell the next. That doesn't
1: make any sense. You're walking around the streets and you see a group of young women. You're like, whoa, she's pretty. And for a moment, you're caught looking at, you're just looking at this young girl. And you're like, wow. And then you're like, oh, no, I snapped out of it. I'm not saved. Ah.
5: That's honestly a remnant of Catholicism, that that sentiment of I've sinned. So now I have to go apologize for the sin again. Like, I, I got to I gotta go out into the street and flag down a priest. I got to confess to somebody or else, or else if I get hit by a car, I, I'll go to hell.
2: I found that um, when you meet, if, like if you're a mainstream Christian or evangelical, you meet a new person in church and the conversation quickly turns to how you were saved. You know, what's, what's your testimony? Tell us the epiphany you had when you were saved. And it's almost like an interrogation. And if you don't tell the story just right for them, then they'll, uh, they'll start to preach to you and say, oh, gee, are you sure you were really ever saved? If you can't remember the date, then, uh, you know, you've got some soul-searching to do.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. That's nuts. Your salvation wasn't good enough. I've heard things like that from American Protestants. It's sad.
1: It's subjective too, Bill. Some days it,
0: alone the truth.
1: Because it's all based on feelings. Go ahead, Joe. It's like, it's, it's all based on feelings, whereas ours is logical and based on scripture and it's objective and it's racial salvation. Their salvation is based on the profession of a man, the mouth of a man, and what a man says and what a man testifies testifies, rather than what God tested says in his in his Bible. And it's all subjective and feelings based. It's like, oh, I feel so and so was mean this week, so he's not saved anymore. Oh, feeling, you know, so and so wasn't nice to me. It's all feelings based. And that's what Christians for truth, that dumb clown sight is about. Their feelings-based. They don't believe in racial salvation, which is objective and just, is, and is the word of God, the mercy of God. They believe in feelings-based. Oh, someone so is mean, and he is mean to us. He can't possibly be a Christian because he told us we were dumb when we went on with this stupid, you know workspace salvation stuff you know he was mean to us when he told us the trinity isn't true
0: how can he be christian well well, look at everybody look look at all the divisions we've had over the last several years and every division was broke off by by feelings it was feeling based people breaking off is what it was
1: And that's so...
0: The, the, the Trinitarians are feeling based Feeling based They're feeling based for sure. The Trinitarians are feelings-based. the, the I don't know. Kevin and, and his recent split with us, he was feelings-based. It, it's all the time. They can't just be men and look at objective, objective facts or look at what can be proven and why it can be proven. And, and agree to it. It's incredible. If it goes against your feelings, you're going to get mad and go away. It's ridiculous. Or, or you going to accept something because it feels good, like the Trinity. It feels good, I guess, because it feels safe for them, because it's been a church doctrine for 1,600 years, so that makes it right. Or 1,700 years, so that makes it right. That doesn't make it right.
1: It's all feelings-based. I don't want to hate a nigger. It's just too far, man. I don't want to hate the chinks. You know, saying they're going to be exterminated, that's just too much, man. I just can't handle that. I'm feelings-based, you know. How can you do I don't want to hate any, you know, before. that Charles Fogg card. <laughs> and he's a one seed liner and these other guys are one seed liners. They just don't want, he says, I just don't want to hate the chinks. You know, extermination, exterminationism is just too mean. And it's feelings-based. He hasn't got any real argument. It's just, where, 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 my feelings are hurt, where? That's it. That's it. And we're supposed to go, oh, great idea, Charles. You know, great idea, you one seed liners, guys. Awesome, you Trinitarians. You know, and if we say, no, look, it doesn't make sense. It's not objective. Here's why. Then they get all feelings and they get all bent out of shape. That's what I think.
5: I just want to know well, who's well, kids Jesus is killing. I just want to know. <laughs> Hungers, I told you.
0: <laughs> that was something that Eli James pulled back 11 years ago when we split. He, he actually went so far as to mention the name of my dog and how I would like my dog to go into the lake of fire. I swear. That's how bad it got. With you him look into and that his dog's kids. eyes,
1: Bill. You, I, sorry, Bill. You know, I think you should look into that dog's <laughs> eyes, I want my Bill, dog, but my dog's not going him, to heaven. You tell him, Bill. You look into that dog's eyes and you tell him
0: Ask him if he believes in Jesus so he can be saved.
1: <laughs> You're so mean, Bill. You're being mean to me now too, so <laughs>
0: I mean, if he barked once, that might be cool. That's a yes, and twice is a no.
1: <laughs> it doesn't matter. Can a dog be a kinsman to Jesus? And, you know, it, God created all the animals. So we I don't think God is going to be unjust to the animals. You know, they might not be the same creation we are, but they certainly are part of his creation. So I think in the we have to treat animals justly. So even though um, dogs and flowers in nature, they might not have the same destiny we have, we don't, you know, they're still part of our creation. They're still part of our world as it is today. So, and God created that. So, I mean, in the Psalms or the Proverbs, it says the flower, the, the flower of the grass is here today and it goes in the furnace tomorrow. But God created the flower and the grass. He's not you know for a purpose, he's not exterminating the grass and the flowers and the trees and you know he's not he created those things.
0: Yeah you know people that people that quote that verse or that cite that verse in in reference to the vanity of man, what they're missing is the fact that the Adamic man has the spirit of God. So yes, the flesh can die as grass. The spirit doesn't. The spirit's eternal. And you only have that spirit if you're the Adamic race.
1: You only say the kingdom of God if you're born of flesh and spirit.
0: What else do we have? There's a lot of people here. Questions? Topics?
3: Uh, we have that topic we were talking about uh, earlier of like, uh, the epistle of Barnabas and such other old
0: fathers that people love you know people claim to love the church fathers have they read them and have they compared them to, to the other church fathers because the church fathers didn't agree on a whole lot there's a lot they disagreed on.
1: Oh, here's another logical question it do the church fathers do they have the authority to nullify the apostles and the prophets?
0: Of course not, but they did in a lot of ways. So I agree guy, that they did.
1: So if some guy's like, yeah, maybe the Trinity isn't in the Bible, but that's what the Church Fathers taught, you know, that's a, that's a silly methodology. That doesn't even make sense. You either believe in the Bible or you're going to have to believe in men.
0: You know, the next couple of weeks, I hope to get back outside to my other computer where I had the Church Fathers installed and and get to Clement of Alexandria. And actually pull passages where he was trying to prove the Trinity from Plato, because it really is ridiculous using Plato as an authority. I read them about four or five weeks ago when I was doing part of the One John series, but I never pulled them. I should have pulled them and added the citation. So I apologize for not doing that. I just didn't think I needed it at the time, but now in hindsight, it would have been awfully handy.
1: Well, Noble has a good point in the chat here. Racial salvation according to Yahweh's order is somehow unjust, but throwing a white man into the lake of fire for not taking a magic church shower is okay. That, that's exactly, you know, what we always say is how are we unjust? They're unjust. Our version of exterminationism is just and the exterminationism of one seed line is unjust. That's the main difference between us, I think, that I can see because one seed line is they definitely are exterminationists, but they just want to exterminate white people.
0: Which is incredible. That they want to self-righteously exterminate white people that committed some sin, which they think that they are above. So I allegedly stole something, but you killed somebody, so you're definitely going to Lake a fire. But I only stole something, so I might be redeemable.
1: It often doesn't even go that far, Bill. Often it is just, this person doesn't have good works because they're mean, and so they're not going to
0: heaven. Right. Right. I've heard that one. <laughs> I mean.
5: You swore
0: you're going to hell. I mean, well, I basically had death. a clown come on one of my Facebook accounts. I had this clown come on one of my Facebook accounts a couple of weeks back and try to upbraid me for using the F word and that I was no Christian because I used the F word and this and that and I basically went back and forth with him, trying to be nice to him ex- first and explain to him that it, it's, there's no sin in a word. He wouldn't hear that, so I told him to go F himself. So I justified him by telling him to go F himself, and he was like, see, I told you, you're a hypocrite, blah, 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 blah. It's incredible how self-righteous the, these mainstream Judeo-Christians are. And they always stop short of seeing the real sin in society. They'd rather judge their own brethren for little offenses and condemn them to the pits of hell for these little offenses like using a bad word.
3: That's what happens when you save yourself.
0: That's a problem that's deeply rooted. It's deeply rooted in, in American Protestantism and Catholicism
5: the question i always ask those people whenever they try and argue that with me is i always ask them do you deny that that you're suffering under the the biblical curses right of disobedience and if you admit that if you admit that you see that in society why why are why are you not fixing it right like if 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 you were being obedient, if you were doing what God wanted you to do, if you were properly recognizing and acknowledging sin and trying to move away from it, why are you still being punished by it? Why is it still hurting you?
6: Yeah, when it comes to using the F word, it's uh, they ignore the context in which you use it and they focus on the word because it's easy. It's an easy way to just shut you down and say, I don't need to talk to you because you use bad words because they don't want to think about what you're actually saying.
1: Well, you know, I have to wonder if catalius, which is a Greek word which means evil speech, you know, maybe the F word is included in that somehow. What would you say to that, Bill? Uh
0: (laughs) Bill, you might be muted. Thanks, Hunter. How is any word to be included in evil speech? Any word at all? if the word itself is rather benign, and if there are synonyms which are acceptable that describe the same object or action that the word does, like fuck. Fuck, it it actually comes from a German word, fricken, which is to strike, and, and the American slang word frigging comes from the same place. So how are these words bad if they simply come from a word which means to strike? And you say the word strike or fuck. So you say the word sexual intercourse. You say the phrase sexual intercourse. He had intercourse with her. You're saying the same exact thing as if uh, that than if you're saying he fucked her. So he fucked her or he had intercourse with her. So you're going to heaven because you used a euphemism and I'm going to hell because I used a plain English word. That, that's crazy. To men, that that it's idea offensive. is insane.
6: I'm sorry. It's
1: subjective, the, isn't it? It's, it's because they say because it's offensive to men.
6: Yeah, also, the Bible has a lot of swearing in it like shit and whore. I mean, they would consider whore. Absolutely.
0: If it's offensive to men, then those men need to pick their nuts up off the ground and put them back in their pants. And and be men, because they're not being men. They shouldn't be offended by a word. I always think
1: that, you know, when we're talking to each other, we should accept that um that men can handle some harsh words, that men should be able to handle some harsh words between brethren in the spirit of brotherly love. You know, so you, you don't, if, if your brother says something that's slightly offensive to you, you say, well, maybe you didn't mean it like that, or, you know, I'm just going to look past that and keep, you know that brotherly um, love between us, and not and not get all straight away. Just get really hurt feelings and start, you know, carrying on just because of one word. So I've always had that standard, and I would assume that based on that and based on the law, that evil speech would have to be dishonest or deceptive or a lie. So a false witness under the law had to be made in a court. Well, a lie may may not be made in a court, but it's still... So evil speech may go beyond the law in that lies are bad. You know, lying to someone is bad. But just using a euphemism, is that evil speech? Well, that would be subjective. And I don't like adhering to, you know, subjective opinions and being offended and feelings because it's not... It's the judgment of a man rather than the judgment of God.
0: Right. And the only things that are condemnable are are what the law says are condemnable. Yeah, so it might you not could, be a you, sin. You could, really curse a brother. you could really curse a brother using a lot of nice language and really speak bad and evil things about him using nice language. So does that make it okay? Because you use light, nice language?
5: It, seem, it seems as though con- evil speech is just slander or attempts at slander.
0: Right? That is evil speech because it's usually false accusations and things like that.
1: But I, it could only be a sin if it actually broke the law. But I think sometimes the apostles had a higher standard of behavior than the law. So not just lying, not lying in a courtroom, but also not lying in any venue. So evil speech, you know, false accusation is in a court. You're not making a false witness against someone. That's the law and that's a sin. But you also, evil speech, you also don't want to lie to people outside a court, you know, outside of that uh, venue. So I would would say that's evil speech. And, you know, I ask the question, but I don't necessarily believe curse words would be evil speech. No, I mean,
6: curse
0: words could be evil speech. Curse words could be evil speech if you use them in an evil manner. And it's easy to do that, especially with curse words, but you could use any words in an evil manner, that, which would constitute evil speech, lying about somebody, slandering, blaspheming. You could do all that with very nice language.
1: The kisses of an enemy are bad, something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And the wounds of a friend are sweet bible says
0: that well well right if a friend seeks to correct you and and you should accept it but the kisses of an enemy are are usually the enemy being a sycophant so that he could gratify you and somehow subvert you a flatterer a sycophant
6: yeah like if i tell you uh i hope your child dies of cancer i didn't use any swear words isn't that worse than uh, if, I say, Fuck you"? Yeah. if
0: I just say "fuck you"? It's tons worse, right? It's tons worse. If you say "fuck you," I could imagine you just want to have sex with me, and I might just decline. No <laughs> thanks, I'm not your type.
3: Some eternal hell.
0: But to say, "I hope your child dies of cancer," that's a curse. That that's an actual implication, which is probably not a righteous one. So that's a curse, and and you're actually cursing a brother or his child, and for that you you are worthy of punishment, you're worthy of chastisement
1: yeah, and brothers are going to get in blues, get in fights you know all the time, like maybe they're you know just living just because we're men, we're fallible men, and you might um you know your, your, your brother might borrow your lawnmower and not bring it back on Tommy, you might be, like, angry at him. And then a few days later, you're not angry at him anymore. You're like, oh, sorry, I told you to F off or whatever. And he will say, oh, I'm sorry too. I should have brought your mower back, you know, if he's a good brother. And so things like that, you should be able to forgive little things like that and not hold grudges forever, you know, and not get all feelings based and butt hurt and, um, in, in the spirit of brotherly love. But then if you actually pray, you actually hate your brother and you actually, like, wish evil upon him, that's a sin. Because it's, you know, in the very place where we first see love thy neighbor as thyself, it also says do not hold a grudge against the children of thy people.
0: Right, absolutely. And and that's why it says so you must love your neighbor as yourself.
1: Yeah. So, did Joseph hold a grudge against his brothers when they sold him off into slavery?
2: No,
1: that's pretty harsh. That's pretty harsh. You know, your brother sells you off into slavery. That's pretty harsh. The old, the old world, pretty hard to live back then.
0: Eric, I don't really know what you mean by. Fink said evil speech was if it was damaging in a commentary. I guess lying about the Bible would be evil speech, though.
1: Yeah, I can't remember exactly.
5: I was trying to think of the podcast, but uh, I thought it was pertinent to what we were saying.
2: It, it was already basically said, you know, damage is done.
3: Pretty basically,
2: it's not just a naughty boy swiper or don't know he's over it. Condemning people for
0: naughty boy swear words is superficial at best. And it's subjective because it's man who decides which words are bad and which words aren't. When there's no word in the Bible that's forbidden. There's a lot of types of speech in the Bible which are discouraged or even considered sin. But there's no word in the Bible which is forbidden. It's ridiculous to have forbidden words. It's an artificial construct of society.
3: And in that thing you're saying, uh, I think they just really like having gray areas that they can just bend to whatever they want and just say, oh, this is this at this point, or it's this at that point.
1: Yeah, gray areas would be good for someone who wants to be a Pharisee. Because then they can become the judge they can become judges of the law because there's grey areas rather than allowing the law to be the judge. You know, when I try and imagine what the old um Pharisaical order would have looked like, I think of the Catholic Church. <laughs> That's probably the closest example you know we can think of today with all its own laws set up, its own doctrine set up, condemning people, it, the same structure that condemned Christ. When I try and think of what that looked like, I think, you know, probably the Catholic Church.
3: Catholics and Orthodox, same thing.
5: The modern churches would, would condemn Christ and say he was going to hell if he came and preached what he, what he preached then today. They would, they would never, ever accept a, uh, someone, someone who preached a racial message, who said things like, uh, like bad trees, like, bad, like thorns and vines don't ever bear good fruit in a racial context, and, and good trees don't bear bad fruit. Right? He, they, would, they would never accept something like that. They would let the governments destroy him, and they would say it was justified.
4: They would crucify him.
5: Yeah, exactly, exactly what happened with Pontius Pilate and, uh, and the Pharisees, it would happen again.
1: Exactly. That's what I think. You know, they would just like, yeah, it's the same structure that um, killed Christ is the same structure we see in the world today. It is the same structure. And, and now that the Pope's going along with all these um, heinous ideas, he's even more like the Pharisees. He's even more like than ever before. It's like he's not even pretending anymore. And if Christ came and undermined the authority of the church, that's exactly why they killed him in ancient Judea, isn't it? Because he was undermining their authority and their position. And he asked, they asked him, "Where does your authority come from?" And he, his authority came from God. And um, the only way, you know, how could he be, how could he be made king by men? If his authority came from God, how could he be recognized by them? He's not going to be recognized by them because um, he's not Christ because men recognize him. He's Christ because of God and God witnesses who he is.
4: There is nothing new under the sun.
5: Right. Right. Christ doesn't doesn't need the approval of earthly authorities to be who He is, and likewise, we don't need the approval or the justification of anyone else to be Israelites. Christ, Christ, Christ has been God from the beginning and you've been an Israelite from the beginning. You don't need governments, you don't need churches, you don't need bureaucracies or mortal authorities to just put a validation stamp on you, right? Any more than you need a marriage certificate to prove a marriage, right? It's, it's earthly institutions trying to seize authority and seize power that they, that they don't know how to use. And that was never theirs to command in the first place. They want to be the arbiters of what's good and evil. They want to be the ones who say who's married and who's not. They want to be the ones who get to choose who goes to hell and they're not, and they never will be. And they can't accept that. And that's the tyranny of man.
1: Right, right. Dasha, And that's, um, our people today kind of deserve the punishments that they live under because they rejected God as authority. So now they've got this state as the authority. And it's it's not nice. It's a cruel God, this state, this zog. And our God, he's a merciful God. And when you look at um, some of the parables of Christ about the true shepherd, well, our shepherds today... You know they, they they want authority over the sheep and they claim authority over the sheep, but he's the true authority over the sheep. Not because men say he is, but because God witnessed that he is. He doesn't need a witness from men. And so this church structure we have today, it's not. I don't think it will approve. It doesn't approve of CI, and it it doesn't need to give its stamp of approval to CI. These trinitarians who imagine that the church father should give a stamp of approval to CI. That's, that's silly because those church fathers created the structure we have today that rejects Christ and his message. Christ doesn't need the stamp of approval from the mainstream churches. His authority comes from God, not from these churches and not from the church fathers. And these church fathers, if they were true Christians, they would not contradict the scriptures or the words of Christ.
4: Agnostics and atheists are always skeptical, step, skeptical of christianity because they say that religions are a tool used to control people and they're right you know they're right
5: i i will never grant them that because if they were if they were actually intellectually honest they they would then turn around and it say so are governments but they'll never say it they don't have the balls so I will, I'll never grant them that and, and say, you know what, you're right, they are. I mean, they're right, but I'm, I'm not going to give them that. I'm not going to concede that point because they're, they're not being intellectually honest within the confines of their own worldview. They'll only, po- they'll only point out the flaws of Catholicism, but they won't, they won't admit the problems inherent in democracies and republics and all, all of these other government structures that they, they gleefully and willingly bend the knee to. They're just as bad as the people they condemn for trying to control people.
4: For most people nowadays, everything is relative to them. What do they feel, what they're offended by.
0: The the desire to control people also comes from a lack of trust for your fellow man. Uh, I mean, if we lived in an entirely white nation, why would... Anybody, say, want to take our guns away or or want to regulate how we drive our automobiles unless they had a lack of trust in their God and their fellow man. So it's all rooted in in humanism and man's arrogance to think that he should be able to rule over other men.
1: Yeah, well, I'm just thinking that, you know, these trinity – These guys who try and mix in CI with um, Catholic doctrines or the Catholic approach to scripture, well, it doesn't work because CI theology is based on covenant theology. It's covenant theology. And the Catholics don't accept that. They don't accept that the promises were made to one race. They don't accept covenant theology at all. So we should not ever expect the Pope to approve of CI or the world to approve of CI but i think Lutheran. that's what these trinitarians are doing they they expect you know they're trying to marry CI to church to church doctrines and Christ taught against that he said you know new wine skins old wine old old whatever it was old old new wine in old wine skins and that's what they're doing so we can't marry we can't even expect the church to ever approve of us Christ didn't expect the authorities to approve of him or to declare that he is the Christ. Some of the people at the time thought that the Pharisees would declare that he is Christ. But it's God who declares who Christ is. He himself witnesses who he is. He is the word of God. So we, we should never expect this world to approve of CI or try to marry CI to the world, and that's what the one C-liners do. That's what all the feelings-based people do. They try and put CI with the world, you know, the, the um, ideas of the world, you know, anti-racism. Some, some CI even try and put anti-racism with CI, and then they end up being non-exterminationists, um, being against exterminationism which is crazy. It's all so crazy. It's feelings-based. It's lame. Just like the Catholic Church is totally lame. Who would even want to go along with that? Yes, (laughs) sorry.
0: I went on a bit then. but It's a good point. I'm sorry. I'm fighting with being muted. That, that's always a slippery slope, Joe. You could be against exterminationism today, and tomorrow you might have to be against or, or against the laws against fornication. So you might have to agree to fornication. Today the the, the niggers really aren't going to get killed. God's really not going to kill them. He's going to send them back to Africa where they could live happy forever. And then tomorrow you're going to yield more and your position is going to be, well, I guess if he's a Christian it's okay for a nigger to marry my daughter. And then the third day you're going to have to yield even more and say, well, okay I guess if it's that nigger over there, he's Christian. So, yeah, he could have my wife and I'll be a cuck because he's a Christian. Where do you draw the line? When you start compromising, you never stop compromising until you're dead.
1: And that's true because that's what Eli James did. He, married, he allowed an Arab to marry his daughter. And that's what some of the other ones seedliners do. Is they marry chinks and South American squat monsters and then we've, we're seeing photos of them and they're claiming to the be CI pastors and they've got their arm around some Mexican or something, you know, so they compromise and they go down that road all because they were feelings based and they didn't want to be an exterminationist. Well, that's the path to hell.
0: I just got some photocopy pages of a booklet by Everett Ramsey, God's Grace to Adamites who are not Israelites. And evidently, Everett Ramsey had asked several other so-called identity or CI light pastors to give their opinions on this subject. So I haven't read this whole thing yet. But Eli James was one of them who has his opinions in Everett Ramsey's book. And and I was hoping in the next week or so to get this on the forum because he, he turned it into basically salvation for all races, not just the Adamic race, but for everybody. So this will be on the forum soon. But that's once you start to compromise, there's no end. And and the inevitable result is that you end up no better than any of today's Judeo-Christians. You accept the devil's whole apple. You swallow the whole apple. <sighs> I just, I just wanted to say
5: that I don't, I don't ask anybody's permission to be an Israelite, right? That's, that's not how that works. But you can be sure that God isn't going to ask any of these pastors permission before he starts killing children on the day of judgment. That's just going to happen, and they're just going to have to deal with
1: it. Well, Dasha, did you make yourself? You know, are you the author of your own life? Did you create your own body? I mean, isn't that what the um, psalmist is saying in Psalm? 22 you know thou art my god from my mother's belly so you know i that's a good point because you don't ask anyone you know to be an israelite you are what you are because that's what god made you and so all these people who say oh well god's unjust because he made he made niggers you know and he didn't make niggers but you know I can't, I can't decide who I was born as, so it's wrong to be mean to niggers because they can't help that they were born niggas. And it's like, well, isn't God, you know, isn't God the author of life and the author of what a man is?
3: That's the funniest one. It's not their fault they're black.
1: That's what Eli James says, eh? Like, it's not their fault they were born black.
0: Well, here Eli takes three passages. Three passages from Acts chapter 3, the restitution of all things, from Zechariah chapter 14, taking this out of context, the nations which came against Jerusalem, and then from Romans chapter 8, and Paul speaking about the creature being delivered from the bondage of corruption, and Eli's... Summary, his, his summary conclusion is this I think these three passages should alleviate any concern for those Adamites and even non-adamites who support us against the enemy. So he's arguing for the salvation of non-adamites who support us against the enemy. And and wow. In other words, he's created a doctrine which leaves it open for Jews like him that they could attain salvation.
1: Can I ask you something then, Bill? Who oh. is the enemy? I mean, if the, how, how do you define an enemy if it's, if it's, you know, those who, it's subjective. It's not this is an enemy because he was born, you know, outside the will of God or he's an enemy of God. It's, oh, he, he seemed pretty nice and he was, you know, he helped us. So he's not an enemy. Oh, and he is an enemy because he didn't believe. You know, how do you define who's an enemy then, given that? It doesn't make any sense. It's subjective. Well, of course.
0: It's- it boils down to the subjectivity of men. That's a- absolutely true. Where men decide who the enemy is instead of God.
1: And it's the one seed is doing that exact same thing. You know, who's an enemy of God? Oh, you know... That sinner, that sinner, he's an enemy of God because he sinned. And it's like, well, why did Jesus come? Didn't he come to save people from their sins? You know, the Israelites weren't, <laughs> they were idolaters. They were worthy of death. They had a death sentence.
0: Right. And and that's a big part of my last John commentary and, and the one coming up, that it's not about who sins and who doesn't. There's a lot of people here today and, and I appreciate that, but do we have any other topics? Do we? Does anybody new have any other questions? I, I just want to make sure that everybody that wants to speak gets an opportunity. Uh, Bill, I have a question. Uh, it might be a simple one,
4: and uh, I'm not sure if you've talked about this in any of your commentaries, but to arise and thresh does that become does that come before or after the second advent
3: of Yahshua Christ?
0: You know, if, if I, um, wow, if, if I didn't have an, enough people speaking tonight, I had planned on talking for a few minutes about a letter a woman sent me this week about when Babylon falls which, of course, we can't really answer, or, or whether Babylon falls before or after the coming of Christ, So, which I think we can answer. I, I have to get the letter out to reread her question. It, if I don't answer it here this evening, we'll discuss it, maybe in a forum post or something. But Arise and Thresh, to Arise and Thresh, I, that that's in Micah chapter 4 and to me that really seems to be tied to the time of the judgment of Yahweh that's when many nations are gathered against thee in verse 11 of that chapter now also many nations are gathered against thee that say let her be defiled and let our eye look upon Zion, and I interpret that because they're already going into captivity to Babylon in verse ten, so I interpret that as another prophecy of the day of yahweh's the day of Yahweh's wrath and his vengeance against his enemies, and Obadiah, where they shall be as though they had not been. And when Satan gathers all nations against the camp of the saints and in Ezekiel, where we see pretty much the same scenario laid out, I put Micah 4 in that same category. And the context will certainly support that if we read the first 12 or 13 verses of the chapter, the verse you're citing is Micah 4.13, so if we read the first 12 verses, I believe the context supports that. It's these many nations gathered against thee. And at some point we're we're told to arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. And and I equate that with the come out from her my people, lest ye take part or, or lest she suffer her punishments and reward unto her double as she rewarded you. So I put Micah 4 in that category, along with Obadiah and Revelation chapter 20 and Revelation chapter 18 in the fall of Babylon. Thanks, Bill. I hope hope that answers the question.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it really does. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it really does. Thank you. No sweat. Anybody else? What's going on? I don't wanna say any names that there's about twenty five people here. I don't want to say any names and put anybody on the spot.
1: Well, I see many good points being made in the side chart, but no one makes them in the in the main show. So now they have a chance.
0: Yeah, you know, I kinda of look back and Dasho had a few good things to say earlier, but and and I wish he'd have said them on the program here on a recording. So I'll put Dasho on the spot. I'm kidding.
5: Sorry, I just don't like interrupting other people when they talk. So sometimes I'll make a comment on something just so I don't interrupt them while they're while they're talking.
0: Yeah, that's okay. I was I, I was scrolling, and maybe it was just too long ago.
5: Well, uh, if, and, if, we're, was, if if we if if we're fishing for questions, uh, David S. brought up a question in the chat. While well, I was, I was talking about something and I'm, I'm interested in your take on it. I was under the impression back earlier in the chat, in the, uh, in the program, when we were talking about, you know, the, the, uh, the concept of, of, a of, a marriages and what, what was, what was fornication. My, my understanding of fornication is that it, it literally means a lust for strange flesh, which would mean bestiality, sodomy and race mixing. Right. Um, David S mentioned in the chat while while we were talking about that in the side chat that prostitution is also fornication and I I didn't think that was the case because I thought that would fall under the the heading of adultery because the whore would be the wife of the first man who had sex with her and thus everyone who has sex with her after that is having sex with another man's wife. Yeah. Um but he he mentioned that that you actually had a had a program, it was mentioned at some point in something yeah, you did, where, where you defined it as being fornication and not adultery. Uh, could you elaborate on that, Bill? Uh, is it fornication or is it adultery? And if if it is adul-
0: if fornication, why is that? Actually, to the Greeks, both fornication and... And I had this in documentation at Christenia from... Aristotle, Diodorus, Siculus, Strabo, from language that they all used, both fornication and adultery, wh- which are porne and moicus, Both those words were used at diverse times to describe race mixing. Both of them were. In classical Greek writings. So porne comes from the Greek verb, Pornuo, which, which means to convey in trade. And porne actually does mean prostitution as a woman conveys in trade. But it was also used by classical Greek writers as well as the, the apostles of our New Testament to describe race mixing. If you're conveying with trade with other nations, if you go back to think about the sin of the children of Israel, which was described in Hosea, in Amos, and probably in other of the minor prophets, part of their sin was their intercourse with other nations, nations whom they were told to not respect their gods. When you accept a person's person, you respect his gods. So if we all worship the same God, that's fine. But if you go back into the Old Testament, you'll realize that to respect people of other races is to respect their gods. And the children of Israel was told not to respect their gods. So that means not accepting those people. So exchanging... um your daughters with their sons and their sons with your daughters, you're basically committing fornication. You're conveying to engage in trade because that's always the purpose of intercourse with foreign nations is for the purpose of trade. And even that is evident in the Old Testament. The way we think today is totally convoluted from the way people thought 3,000 years ago. So porne can be prostitution, and and that was the most common use of the word, if I had to guess, in, in classical Greek. But it very often described fornication as well, or race mixing. And so did the verb moikuo, which is to commit adultery, and moikus, which is the noun for adultery, which is ultimately rooted in the verb mignumi, which is to mix. And the Greeks used moicus and moikuo the same way to describe fornication or race mixing, even though that word is typically used to describe adultery in the New Testament. I hope that answers that question. I'm actually Uh, looking for the passages on my site. I'm looking for the passages on my site, but they're not easy to find because I have so many references to fornication. I have this old paper, adultery and fornication from July 31st. 2010, but I know that I've added to the knowledge base of occurrences where these words are used in the classics since then. I've added to this, so I may not have it all here. Moïcus was used twice. Moïcus is the New Testament word for adultery, was used twice of race mixers by Strabo in Geography Book 16, where he states of certain tribes that the penalty for an adulterer is death, but among them, only the person of the other race is considered the adulterer. So right there, we see that that word moicus was used of race mixing. The verb magnumi, which means to mix, and, and which I believe is the root word of moicus, is used of sexual intercourse in Pindar, in the Pythian Odes, in Ode 3, or in the elegaic poet in Theogony in lines 183 to 192. Diodorus Siculus uses the adjective form of magnumi to describe slaves of mixed blood in his library of history. So that, that's that word moicus, which often means adultery in the New Testament, can mean race mixing in classical Greek. There's other references I've found since then where the words for fornication were also used to describe race mixing by the Greeks as well as prostitution. But I have to find where I where I have those references. They're in a paper at my website, but there's a hundred papers that mention fornication and adultery.
6: Yeah, you can search um, prostitution on uh, Christogenia. I'm going to paste one link. Well, just one part of what you said in um, the Epistles of Paul, One Corinthians, Part Eight. But if you just search prostitution on the main search on Christoginia, you'll get a, a lot of hits concerning what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, so prostitution and other forms of illicit sexual activity, such as sodomy. So people who basically sleep with 40 people and then get married, they're basically prostitutes, but they aren't getting paid for it. They're worse than prostitutes, they're like the cheapest Based. prostitute. Well, I had a question, but um, another one <laughs> I've probably asked too many, but I don't think we can even answer this one. And it's, um, are the fallen angels the only creation of God that God's going to destroy?
0: You you know, I don't want to answer the question of whether he's going to destroy the original angels or not, but it's apparent in Scripture that their offspring are also referred to as fallen angels. Now, since the devil and his angels have their their destiny in the lake of fire, it seems that even the original angels are going to be destroyed. But all the goat nations are bastards. They're not his creation. And they're going to the same lake of fire as the devil and his angels. So is there any other aspect of his creation that he's going to destroy? We're we're not told that. We're not told anything like that.
1: Well, it doesn't seem to me that he's going to destroy any of the Adamic creation, the Adamic man. And, you know, we don't know what the world, the kingdom has planned. Like, will the kingdom have grass and flowers and animals, etc. But But um, he did create the fallen angels, whatever they were, celestial or whether they were actual men who fell. Were they edemic men? No. They weren't adamites. So maybe they're outside that edemic um Promise of eternal life, you know, but it, it just seems something that God created, like the angels that fell, He's gonna, He
0: might actually destroy them. Well, this well, is... I mean, destiny is the lake of fire, right? So, so it seems like He is going to destroy them, those original angels.
1: If, if they were white men,
3: they still weren't Adamites, though, were they? So, so The only way that they wouldn't be from the verses is if it's the same sort of situation with Esau, Edom, and the children are just called the father's name, name.
1: Yeah, so Esau is going to be preserved, but then Adam... Um, where they're cast in the lake of fire, Matthew twenty five. It is the devil and his angels go into the lake of fire. So you would think that includes their fathers as well as them. You know, the fathers of the of the bastard races, as well as the bastards. But like I said, I don't. You know, you might not be able to answer. It's it's not one of our stronger points, you know. I wouldn't argue with this with a Judeo-Christian or anything because um we know what we can prove, and we know that we can't exactly prove the origin of the non-white races. We just know that they're outside God, that they're not Adamites, and so on.
5: The understanding I've always had of that, well, well, and I I freely admit that this has an origin in in church Christianity but the the understanding, the logic I've heard it expressed is that b, because the angels were created by God to serve him, right and to and to be part of His will in heaven, that they they have an understanding of how the world is supposed to work. they They see like thing, things that we don't see. they They stand a, a bit higher up. They can see things that we can't see and know things we don't know. So, because of that, the tra- their transgression of of willingly turning their backs on God was much more severe, right? What what Lucifer did was was much more severe a transgression than what Adam and Eve did, because Adam and Eve were still, in a way, ignorant. They they weren't they weren't higher spiritual beings. So the the punishment there there's no forgiveness for what for what the angels who fell did. I freely admit that's a church argument though. I don't know how valid that is.
2: You know, a, a question that I have is um Clifton in his uh paper The Angels That Send Chained in Darkness, he talks about how you um that that verse and the and uh, the verses around it that it, it refers to the, the chains um idiomatically. And that what they're actually talking about is chains of DNA and that they were that they were actually chained in, in dark skin rather than in a, in a cave or, or a dungeon. I don't know if he ended up you know changing from that stance or. Clifton made the equivalency of, of that darkness to dark
0: skin. I never did that. I mean, it, it would carry through to that if those dark-skinned beasts that we think are people actually came from fallen angels. I would say that they had to come from fallen angels. Is that the darkness that the apostles referred to? Or is it just a darkness because they are always going to be alienated from God? They were always going to be on the outside of God because they weren't created by him. So there's two ways to look at that.
1: Like in the um, Gospel of John, it says, and the darkness comprehendeth not. So there could be darkness in that sense.
0: Right. Right. Because they're never going to understand. Now, genetically, they can't understand but they're never going to understand, so they're chained in darkness. Not necessarily because their skin is dark, because a lot of these bastards, their skin is pretty light. As light as anyone's. Some of these Ashkenazi Jews and these other Christ-denying bastards. Yeah, now it
2: is. Yeah, now it
0: is. It was then, too. Come on, Martin, the apostles, tell them apart. Come on, the apostles couldn't tell them apart. More that Christ could. If it was if it was easy to tell
5: them apart, Jesus wouldn't have had to specifically tell them, "Beware those who say they are Judeans but are not." Right? There wouldn't have had to have been parables. I mean, not not even just that mentioned in, in the Book of Revelations, but there's there's things directly spoken of in the in the earlier in the New Testament as well where where Christ is trying to preach a racial message and you can clearly tell that some of the apostles or some of the people in the crowd are confused by it. If if they were very clearly not not visually similar then this wouldn't have been wouldn't have been a confusing topic.
6: If they were not clearly visually similar he wouldn't have been able to pick Judas and and it would have worked.
5: Yeah. I mean, even even the Pharisees themselves really seemed know. to genuinely believe. I mean, okay, th- that, that's a bit of a stretch. I probably shouldn't claim that because I can't know their intentions. But at least from what their words are, they seemed to genuinely believe they were children of Abraham. Christ had to correct them and say, no, you're not. You're the children of Cain, right? You're, you're, of, the, you're, of, the, you're of the bloodline of the man who, who lied and murdered from the beginning, right? You're serpents all the way down. You were never of Abraham. Whether they knew that or not, I don't
2: know. I think they did. Well, also, you're talking about four thousand years of, of potential race mixing between the time of, of Adam and, and the time of Christ, right?
0: Yeah, but in the time of Christ, from the time of Adam to the time of Christ, you had two groups in Canaan and Mesopotamia in the Near and Middle East. You had Rephaim, Nephilim, Nephilim who were ostensibly white because they were fallen angels. And you had Adamic people who were white. In the time of Christ, the apostles and and even men like Flavius Josephus is very clear that he saw no difference in physiognomy with the Canaanites and the Edomites than with the Israelites, that they really couldn't tell them apart just on sight. I really believe, personally, that the Jews have become much more mixed since the time of christ it's obvious that they were in Khazaria, they were in in india they were in arabia they were mixing with Arabs and indians and and turks mongols so they became less white since the time of christ than they were in the time of christ if that makes sense
6: also uh dasho i think that they knew that they were the product of fornication because, um, well, race mixing specifically because, uh, okay, so they knew what Christ was talking about when he mentioned that. And uh, how would they have known what he meant unless they were keeping it a secret to begin with? Or that how would they have known at all well, what he was talking about?
0: I have a, a slightly different opinion of that. They knew what he was talking about. But they had a different definition of fornication, sort of like the church does today,
6: right? Like, I'm sure that there are many Pharisees that were actual Israelites that uh saw it from how you just explained it, but I don't know about the actual Jews because uh, to me, it seemed okay, it was kind of like today, right? It was the same thing where anybody could be, um, like today, anybody can be baptized and become a Christian in these churches it was like that for a couple hundred years, at least before Christ, right? So um, I just think that
0: it would be easier to kind of— But kinda... did they understand—I'm sorry. Did they, David, did they understand the consequences of Esau's Canaanite wives? Because not even Flavius Josephus understood that. If you read Josephus's Antiquities, he admired Herod. He thought Herod was great. He thought Herod Agrippa was cool. He liked the Herods. He was personal friends with Herod Agrippa II. They grew up together. Even though Josephus was a Levite and Herod Agrippa Herod II Agrippa was an Edomite, they grew up together. And they were lifelong friends. That's how Josephus had a lot of the information he did, inside information about Herod's family. That he wouldn't have otherwise had.
6: Yeah. But um, was he speaking to Sadducees or Pharisees?
0: Well, Josephus was a Pharisee.
6: No, I mean um, Christ when he told them that they were the product of fornication. I can't recall. Was he speaking to Pharisees or Sadducees?
0: But, well, that's John chapter 8. and And evidently they were Pharisees. The Pharisees and the priests, the high priests.
6: Okay, so it sounds like your explanation is better than because if it was Sadducees, I would have thought that they would have known.
0: Well, right, but he never addressed the Sadducees unless they addressed him, unless they accosted him and came to him. Otherwise, he never went near them. And that's pretty evident in Scripture, but John eight three, the scribes and the Pharisees, well, that doesn't even really belong in the Scripture, I'm sorry. John 8.13 is legitimate. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, and thy record is not true. And he's talking to Pharisees throughout the rest of the chapter. I mean, there may have been some Sadducees there. The high priests were Sadducees. They may have been there. But evidently a lot of the high, higher up Pharisees were also Edomites.
1: So the policy a couple hundred years before Christ came was, um, high, you know, John Hycanus, high, high, high can't say the word, his policy was different to the old, the policy of the old religion, and then Christ comes back and he sets the policy, he's a radical who changes the policy back to what it should be, because the, the, the policy before then was to accept all these Canaanites and Edomites into Israel for a couple hundred years before Christ, and so then they're admitted like what they do, how they take over nations, they're admitted into the priesthood, they're admitted, they become the kings and rulers and then Christ comes and undermines their authority he's the true king and he resets the policy
3: and he resets
1: doesn't he i mean and then he takes all well, well i told. mean you could word it like that
0: you could describe it like that but he has no he has no worldly authority to do that but you could describe it like that his authority is from god they wouldn't accept that They wouldn't accept that his authority was from God, so they killed him.
5: And they may kill us one day for it too, but remember, fear not, but rejoice, for I have already
0: overcome the world. Right. That's the challenge we have to face. We may have to face it in reality here soon.
1: Do you think when um, Christ, you know, so I've got two thoughts, and I'll probably have more on the... um, Love thy neighbor as thyself. And Christ, when he says that, he, he's actually taken his people he, who believe in him and who are following them, he's taken them out of the society and he's said to them, Love thy neighbor as thyself. So when people are being told that, they can look to the left and the right and they can say, Well, who's my neighbor? These people here, these are my neighbors, right? But then um, Judeo Christians say, Well, their neighbor was anyone who happened to live next door. And so I'm I'm thinking, you know, Christ is redefining what a neighbor is at that point, and maybe the Pharisees and the Sadducees had never told, never cited those Old Testament verses about, I think it's in Numbers, oh, yeah, about um, you know, love thy neighbor as thyself, do not hold a grudge against thy children of thy people. So that's what Christ was referencing, and so I'm thinking maybe the people. Also, went back to the Old Testament and looked, oh, well, here's what he means. And the Pharisees have never taught us this. You know, so there's two possibilities that when they were taken out of the society and Christ is talking to them and saying, Love thy neighbor as thyself, they're thinking, Well, these people here are my neighbors. I've been taken out with these people. These are my neighbors. Or perhaps they've gone to the Old Testament and looked it up for themselves and found out what, you know, what the the policy change is. Because Prior to that, their neighbor was the Pharisee that lived next door, the kike who they went to the temple with, etc. you know so they had to have a new vision of what a neighbor is.
0: I, I had um, I had discussed that when I came across that passage in the Gospel of John that perhaps it just wasn't being taught because it's not in Deuteronomy, it's only in Leviticus thou shalt not bear a grudge against the children of thy people, but you are to love thy neighbor as yourself, is only in Leviticus. It's nowhere else in the law. So perhaps they weren't teaching it because Christ called it a a new commandment to love one another when perhaps it was new to the apostles, but it's not really new because it's right in Leviticus chapter 19. So there must be a reason why Christ called it a new commandment, and the only thing I could imagine is that they weren't being taught that commandment. They weren't being taught Leviticus.
1: That's Didn't all Christ, I could imagine. Christ also say, like, the law on the prophets hangs on this? You know, love thy brother. He says, Yeah, it's like- the
0: second. He basically said it was the second most important commandment, to love thy neighbor as thyself. And all it the law and the prophets, hang on this.
6: Yes. Um, do you think there must have been a lot of Jews, like let's say the Herods and the higher ups, that knew who they were back in the day, right? They knew who they really were, just like a lot of Jews today know that they're Esau, Edom. Not a lot, but I mean, the ones at the top understand that, right? What do you think? I don't know. I think they do.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of them must have come from from Edomites that knew that they were Edomites. Yes, I agree. But did they really understand the implications of Esau having Canaanite wives? That's a different story. And I don't think they did. And I don't think Josephus did.
1: Kind of like the Catholic Church today. Like if you want to imagine the structure that condemned Christ, you have to, I, I think the best example we can think of today is the Catholic church. And in the Catholic church, if you are a kike that immediately gives you more authority and you'll probably be, you know, um, a priest in no time because you've got this extra authority. Like well, you be a bishop in no time. There was
0: some universal bishops. There were so many converso bishops in the Middle Ages. It's incredible. Okay, I, I stepped on you, but I didn't want that to kill the conversation. I'm sorry.
3: I was going to say if, uh, if, if you're oh. a
0: Jew in the Roman Catholic Church, you're bound to be a bishop.
3: They have I'm that sorry. Israelite blood, you know. You're just a, a Gentile.
0: Yeah, right. Just a Gentile saved by grace.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. You know, the old covenant is done, isn't
0: it? It's
1: broken. And that's in the prophets. And so these Judeo- Judeo-Christians will say, oh, the Jews don't.
0: It's in Zechariah. Yeah.
1: And isn't it in Hosea too when he's saying, oh, make a new covenant? Like if, if you're making a new covenant, and in Jeremiah, if you're making a new covenant, doesn't that mean the old? Why would you need a new covenant? I mean, do they have two covenants? <laughs> yeah, so it's broken. And so, why do these Judeo Christians say, "Oh, the Jews don't have to believe in Jesus; they can be Antichrist, and it doesn't matter because they've got the old covenant"?
5: Well, the reason they say that is actually, ironically enough, because they believe what we believe. They just misunderstand who the Israelites are, isn't that right, Bill? They've they've studied the Bible and they've Come to understand that the covenants that Christ, that God made to Abraham, right, the the covenant promising salvation, there's no condition attached to that. But because they don't understand that that Abraham was white, they think that Abraham was Jewish. So they just think all of all Jews are unconditionally saved, and doesn't matter what they do, they'll still they'll still end up in heaven. When in reality, it, they've got it completely backwards, right?
0: right? Well, well, that's true that they do believe that the old covenant is Jewish and therefore the unconditional Abrahamic covenant is for Jews and, and they, that they create policies towards Jews based on that. All the Jews are going to be converted when Christ reappears because it's not their fault that they don't believe now. It's incredible. The policies they create based on the, the wrongful assumption that Jews are Israelites it's disgusting.
1: They so like and Jews and blasphemy Christ all they want and still and hate him and still be saved somehow.
5: And I, I think that's also one of the reasons you, we tend to get so much pushback on the particular topic. If you try and assert that that Abraham was white, right, that that Jews are not ethnically the people of, of the Old Testament, that they're not those people. It's because if you if you accept that, then even using mainline doctrine from the churches themselves, the churches themselves no longer have any worth. like the Catholic Church, again, as you've mentioned, and I also mentioned they they don't. They, they, they believe the Jews are unconditionally saved, right, because of that covenant. But if that covenant applies to all Europeans everywhere, if that applies to all white people, if it applies to Germans and the Irish and Americans and the British and everyone else, then the Catholic Church doesn't need to exist. And they're not going to admit that. They'll fight to the death to avoid disbanding themselves. They're not going to wish themselves out of existence. So they have yeah, to cling right. to their heresies. Otherwise, they'll they'll end up backwardsly admitting that they don't need to
0: exist, and they'll never do that. Like the Pharisees
1: well, in the Old Testament.
0: Since all of the ancient so-called church fathers thought that the Jews were Israelites, I don't even understand how we have C.I. Trinitarians. Because they're <laughs> supposed to be following those church fathers.
1: Well, oh, they, they might have got that wrong, Bill, but everything else they got right.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> they got the most important thing wrong and everything else is right. Uh-huh.
1: They probably weren't only listening to um pagans and philosophers and Greeks. They were probably listening to a lot of Jews, too. <laughs>
0: I, I, I think they were really listening to Jews. That Jews are, are the authors of Gnosticism. I think Philo of Alexandria, Philo, was a proto-Gnostic, and perhaps even the father of Gnosticism, in in his endeavor to syncretize the Old Testament with Greek philosophy.
5: He really wanted. He really wanted to find a way to make Christianity compatible with the pagan mystery cults, because that is what all of those, all of those different, I hesitate to call them all different religions because that's not really accurate, but all of the different cults that followed the different Greek gods, right? The Greek and Roman gods, you know, Zeus, who's also uh, Saturn, right? And, And Hades, who was also Pluto, right? They, they, they all had their own mysteries. They had their own, Secrets and rituals and initiation rites and things and of course Christianity even even from the beginning Christianity didn't really didn't really hold with that even even before the coming of Christ right back when it was when it was Yahwism we still held ourselves apart from that kind of of pagan gnosticism but especially after the return of Christ there's simply no excuse for it and yet he he really really wanted to find a way to make all of these converso pagan priests happy right he wanted he he wanted them to be able to keep their rituals and their rites and their secret initiations and things, and we still we still deal with that today. We deal with that today with with the Shriners, and we deal with it with uh with the free, with the Masons. I mean, it's it's still around those those old things from Babylon and from from pagan Greece if and the Catholics the script,
1: too, Dasha.
5: Yeah, and of course the Catholics also well,
1: because they Catholicism have is literally
5: a pagan religion. It kind of goes without saying,
1: but because they've got mysteries too. Whereas Paul said he revealed the mysteries as an apostle of God. Paul revealed the mysteries, right? But the Catholics still claim, "Oh, there's all these secret mysteries, and you've got to go to the priest, and we've got all these mysteries that you just can't do. And that's exactly that's exactly how I see it. You know, I can't prove it; it's just an opinion. I see it as well that's that sounds a lot like the mystery schools. We don't have mysteries because we're not a mystery school. And you know I what else
0: is I I think it's pretty evident. I think it's pretty obvious. Oh, is it?
1: Yeah, well I'm not I'm not as schooled on those sorts of things, Phil. I'm more of a Bible only guy.
0: Well well know, no, man. but that's not a priesthood's that 's how the ancient priesthoods kept themselves in business by having wow. these
2: mysteries
0: that only the priests could dispense and if you would only join our cult you'll be enlightened with these mysteries and and that that 's how they keep themselves in business and and the Roman Catholic priests are no better; they were all pagan priests that became quote-unquote Christian because they couldn't stop Christianity because their pagan temples were emptying out and they were desperate. So they ripped down the sign that said Apollo and they slapped up a sign that said St. Mary. And and they started roping dumb Christians in to go to their church.
1: Probably some of the rites were based on pagan rites. I've got a diagram up at the moment, and apparently a lot of pagan religions also have a trinity. Like Plato had the Unknown Father, the Logos, and the World Soul. That was his trinity, and that's apparently what influenced the Catholic trinity. Then um, ancient Babylon had Nimrod, Samiramus, and Temus. The Egyptians had Osiris, Iris, and Horus. Mesopotamia had Ennu, Enlil and Ea. Ea, I don't know how you'd say that. Yeah. And then the Hindus, the Hindus, <laughs> Hindus. They have Brahma, Shiva and Vishnu. So, you know, I've heard some of these orthotards talk about the the different ages and cycles of time which they got from Kali Yuga and all that that crap. You know, so it it really sounds a lot like them.
6: Yeah, the Egyptians had it too. Uh, I think it's all based in humanism and that all of these ancient uh, religions, all these, I mean, you could call them Canaanite, but whatever. They're all based in humanism. The perfect man, the perfect woman, and the perfect child, right? It's just an image, something that can never actually be, right? Because everybody sins.
1: They claim there's only three, which is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but then they say Mary is some sort of eternal virgin goddess.
0: Right, when it's evident, it's completely obvious in the Scripture that Mary had like five other kids. So did also, she why have they treat
5: you all- like a heretic, if you ask why we don't worship the burning bush, too. Three, 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 three gods is fine, but if you try and add a fourth one in there, then uh, then you're you're overstepping the line, Bucko.
1: They do have four though, Dasha, because they claim <laughs> the, these Trinitards. They claim that the Godhead is a god is another person of the Godhead. When they claim that Israel married oh. the Godhead, so because if you say to them, "Oh, okay, then who did Israel marry?" And that should should get them thinking, but they don't think. They just say the Godhead. And it's like you can't marry a non-person, you know, essence because the Godhead is just the essence of God. As they say, I don't say that. They say that. It's not a person. And so for that to be true, they're making the Godhead into a fourth person of the Trinity. So they do have four.
5: Uh, but turning the Godhead as they claim into into a person is literally just plato's world soul that's that's literally all that is that's not even that's not even the Holy Ghost that's 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 just claiming that the soul of the world has a per, has a personage which is silly
0: the Holy Spirit is constantly called the spirit of the Lord in scripture and and the Holy Spirit is basically just a projection of God's power and presence on earth. It's just the essence of God. It's not another person. That's ridiculous. Christ said that he was that spirit. I will come to you.
5: Right, and that's and that's why we don't we don't Believe in any of the mystery cults, because if if there were any secrets, then God will reveal them to you. Not not that He hasn't done so already, but even if there hypothetically were some, God would let you know. There's no there's 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 no system in place for there to be more hidden knowledge. All that has been hidden has been revealed. There's 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 no room for for a cult of mystery anymore it's it's that's over and done with the veil the veil in the temple is torn the ark of the covenant has no power because god doesn't dwell in the ark of the covenant anymore he dwells in the heart of israelites
2: what about the idea that the uh, pagan deities of the, of the Canaanites were uh, were the fallen the fallen angels
3: and hold on uh, well basho he dwells in christ the
2: tabernacle i'm sorry yeah.
5: You're really faint. I can't. What are you saying?
2: No, I was saying that. What about the idea of the um, of the pagan deities of of the Canaanites being the uh, the fallen angels?
1: Well, they did worship. I reckon they did worship their their fathers, the fallen angels, because doesn't Paul say the things which they sacrifice they sacrifice to the devils and angels, something like that? You
0: know, it, it's Well, not that's true, actually it. Deuteronomy. That, that's actually in Deuteronomy and Exodus, oh, but Paul
2: repeats cool. it. Okay. Which, which brings up something else, because, I mean, one of, the, one of those pagan deities, right, was, was Dagon, <laughs> going around wearing the mitre, right?
0: Yeah, like the yeah. Pope. Exactly. Dagon was actually a Philistine deity, not a Canaanite one, but I don't want to split hairs. And, and, and
2: also, yeah, you yeah, know, he, Paul talks about the God. worshiping of angels in Colossians.
0: Paul talks about the worshiping of angels in Colossians chapter two, and he must mean fallen angels. That the fallen angels did initiate at least many of the pagan religions.
6: Yeah, I believe that they they definitely worship them. I think it's obvious from a lot of points of view.
2: And also um, Mount Hermon was known as Mount... Uh, Sion or Sion? S-I-O-N. No, never. Okay.
0: You're confusing two separate places that were probably fifty miles apart.
2: Hmm. So no where line. where Philippi's uh, Caesarea was? Now I'm wondering if that was if that was Mount Hermon or on Mount Hermon. Galilee. Yeah, that was on the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so that's nowhere near like the golden golden the current day golden Heights right
0: Wow, you wouldn't believe this i I just slapped in Google Mount Herman to Mount Zion, and actually Mount Sions's in Illinois and Mount Herman's in California and it's twenty one thousand one hundred forty uh, two point nine two thousand one hundred and forty two point nine miles on mostly on interstate eighty <sighs> I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to get places in the United States, right?
2: Yeah, because that's where Enoch said that the uh, the fallen angels came down, and that they that's where they made their 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 pact. I I don't know if I would read it in that manner.
0: That they came down from heaven on the Mount Hermon. That's not where how I read that. Uh, I guess if you really accept it. At its literal face value, you might insist on that, but that's not really how I understand that.
2: So another question is this: When Christ was talking with Peter, and wh- that was on, that was on, right by the Sea of Galilee, right? Was that by that that Mount Mount Zion? Mount, Zion.
0: Mount Hermon is actually quite far. North of the Sea of Galilee.
2: Yeah, it's almost on the border, right? Of, of, uh, it's almost near Damascus
0: yeah. in Syria. And the Sea of Galilee... Uh, let me see this. I'm, I'm going to measure distance. The center of the Sea of Galilee is 44 miles from Mount Hermon. Okay. And... It's a hundred and eighteen miles from Mount Zion in Jerusalem
2: by air. It's it's a hundred and fourteen miles away from where?
0: From Mount Zion in Jerusalem.
2: Okay, but there's there's Z I O N, and then there was also an S I O N.
0: It's the same word, Martin. Okay. The same word, the same place. Do you want me to explain why?
2: It's because the real word is spelled
0: T-S-I-O-N.
2: Okay. Which means like... Or actually
0: T-S-I-O-Y-N, I I think, or something like that in in Hebrew, transliterating Hebrew characters. I think there's a VAV in there somewhere. Yeah. So so sometimes that T S becomes a Z in English or Greek, sometimes it becomes an S, sometimes it becomes a T. Yeah
6: in
0: Depending Slavic uh
6: T S is C Z, right? So zar, czar, C Z A R is T S T S A R.
2: But in, yeah. in the Hebrew in the Hebrew, doesn't it have some yeah, that means like stone or something or
0: something? What means
2: stone? The uh the T S um T S I O N
0: What does Zion mean in Hebrew? Yeah. I don't, I don't Parched place. Okay. Parched or dry place. T S I Y O W N. That's a that that's a sadi a yad
2: two yards and a bath. Need to pull out the Bible dictionary now. Mm-hmm.
0: No, it's a sadi a yard bath. And a nun. Four letters. It means parched place, Martin. Okay. So what's the pro? What what's the question? What's the statement? No. I was what's just, the meat uh, of what just, we're getting at here?
2: When when Christ made the uh, the statement about um about the uh, about the rock uh, that that the gates of hell would not um, prevail against. What about it? That there was some sort of yeah, I was reading an article a while back that there was some sort of connection with this uh, with this uh, Mount Herman.
0: That's a pipe dream. Okay. That that's a pipe dream. It it's the ro- word rock is petra. It's the common Greek word for bedrock. Why should that relate to Mount Hermon when there's bedrock all over the place?
2: Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to pull it back up now.
0: If Christ built his church on Mount Hermon, what's he gonna end up with? Three sand niggers and a and a. Yeah there
2: was yeah, actually, I'd have, to, I'd, I'd have to. I need to pull the article back up, but that's. Um, there's also mentioned somewhere in the Bible that that uh, something about um, between that there was like a rivalry between the, the, the two mountains. But again, a rivalry to... between the mountains. Yeah. So we're attributing human emotion to the mountains? no it's it's an allegory that um that basically the, I, I believe that mount hermon representing the the place of the the fallen angels and then mount zion representing the uh, you know where uh, god established his house
0: Well, maybe that's what somebody's reading into the whole thing.
2: Yeah, like I said, well, I
0: that's need a conjecture that. of man. That's not scripture.
1: Yeah, is there a verse that says anything like that, Martin? That says like, like Herman verse. Islam? Yeah, actually, um, let
2: me. You know what? Let me see if we can. Put, I'm to try and see if we can track that back.
1: Down. I'll try and find it.
2: Okay.
0: Actually, there's one place where Sion where Herman is called Sion in Scripture for some strange reason.
2: Yeah. Okay. So that that's what and it, and spelled with the S, right? Yeah, but
0: it's spelled with an S, but it's the same Hebrew word. It's just the translators. To, no, it is spelled with an S. I'm sorry. In Hebrew, it is. Yeah. But it's not Sion in in the Septuagint. It's Seon. It's a different word. Well, by one letter, by one letter anyway. Sayon. It's not spelled like Sion. It's spelled in Ada instead of an Iota in the second place. Sayon instead of Sion. So this is a different word. It's Sion. But very often, Sion is spelled S-I-O-N. About nine times in Scripture. Eight times referring to the Mount Zion in Jerusalem, evidently. Only one of those is in the Old Testament, Psalm 65, one, Where the, the word the Zaddy is spelled S-I-O-N. So that's probably an anomaly in the King James Version. Rather than Z-I-O-N. Because it's a Sadi, it's a T S character not the Z or the S. But in that Deuteronomy four forty eight, where it meant, where it equates that this name Sion to Hermon, it's just a shin, it's not a Sadi. it's an S I O
2: N in Hebrew.
1: Can you see Psalm one thirty-three three, Bill? Because I can't read it at the same time as I've got this open.
0: As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there, Yahweh commanded the blessing, even life forevermore.
1: So that mentions two mountains. That's the only one I can find that mentions those two mountains.
0: Yeah, I was referring to Deuteronomy four forty-eight, but it has both names for the same mountain, but it's slightly different because it's an S instead of a T S in Hebrew. It's a Shin instead of a Sadi. I think Herman was only famous because it was a very tall mountain. It was a very large mountain so it would be natural to compare it to the mountains in Jerusalem.
1: I thought of another question, but maybe it's getting late and maybe I should save it. Go ahead. Does God ever allow his people to be subjected to um, conditions where they're breaking his law? For example, in Ezekiel, Um, God tells Ezekiel to cook his food over dung, which would violate his law. And then Ezekiel says to the people, in a few months, you'll be doing the same thing. And so it seems like God might be allowing his people to be subjected to um, lawlessness. So would God do that?
0: As an example, he told Hosea to marry a whore. And Hosea did. He went off and married a whore.
1: So today, if we're if if we're if the government forces us to break his law, could that be from God? Like if the government forces us to get a vaccine or to eat something that we wouldn't eat or do something that we wouldn't do, um, God would allow us as a punishment to be subjected to lawlessness. Because Hosea, that wasn't really a punishment. I guess he would, you know, for, why would he do that to Hosea, actually? Because Hosea was a prophet.
0: Yeah, and he told him to go marry a whore because he wanted to make an example because Israel was a whore. And since the divorce was being announced, I guess the law was no longer in effect already in the eyes of God because Israel had broken all the law. They'd broken it. So he told Hosea to go marry a whore, Hosea chapter 1.
1: So there are places in our history in the Old Testament where Israel didn't have a choice to keep his law. So even if they wanted to keep his law, they couldn't because God subjected them to lawlessness to punish them. And then maybe, I guess maybe in that punishment, they were like praying for his law to come back. I don't know well, if that's I, true or not,
0: large part of Hosea that the dung in Ezekiel Ezekiel protested and and Yahweh relented to his protest because he was right. Ezekiel was right. I never did this before. I never ate anything unclean before. So he gave him cow's dung for man's dung. But I think that. An example, that Yahweh knew that Ezekiel was going to protest.
1: We should pray that we have an opportunity to keep his law then because I don't want to be subjected to, I always want the choice to be able to keep his law. But the thing is, as a kid, I was vaccinated. So then I wouldn't be able to say like um, Ezekiel did, oh, Lord, Lord please don't force vaccinate me because I've never been defiled from my youth because that wouldn't be true with me.
0: Right. Our parents today made sure we were all defiled and their parents made sure they were defiled. They all went along with it. They all went along with the program.
1: Yeah. So we don't always, I always thought, you know, God always gives us the option, the choice to keep his law, but it seems like sometimes in punishment, we don't have the option or the freedom to keep his law. Would you agree with that, Bill?
0: Well, well, sometimes we don't. I mean, yeah, right. I spent 12 years in prison, and and I had plenty of times where where I was um, more or less forced to abrogate law. I had to take a tuberculosis test. Otherwise, I would not have ever got out of prison.
1: What's a tuberculosis? If you don't mind me asking, what's a tuberculosis test? What, do they just swab your cheek or something?
0: No, they put dead tuberculin in your skin to see if you react to it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not right. It's not good. Shit, I
6: had that done too. It's like a, you jab, a bubble bro. forms if you're, uh, if you, you jab. right. If if a bubble forms, you react to it, right?
0: Right. And then you have tuberculosis.
6: I was in jail for 10 days and they gave me one of those. <laughs> Never mind, 12 years.
0: Yeah, so you get yeah, not get out. Yeah.
1: You no, know what they're doing now is they're saying to prisoners, unless you get the COVID 19 vaccination, you're not getting out.
0: Right. Probably in America.
1: In America.
0: Yep. And getting away with it. Nobody protests. Everybody thinks that they should get the vaccine. What would be wrong with that?
1: Not even a vaccine, though. As far as I can understand, it's actually gene therapy was the mRNA vaccines. It was technically called gene therapy in scientific papers when it was invented. And now an Indian company has invented a new um, vaccine that's based on genetically modified plasmids. So that's even more severe, as I understand.
0: Yeah, the, would you trust an Indian to make a vaccine for you? But would water I trust Satan? <laughs> water straight from the Ganges. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the whole the the holy sewer. The hey, Ganges. You can
6: spice up that vaccine with a little bit of poop. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's that's probably how they see it, David. Spicy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, poop. There's still a lot of people here. Do we have anything else here? Is there anything anybody wants to say? I, I mean, we should probably end this program soon. I, I just want to make sure there's a couple dozen people showed up, that they all don't miss an opportunity to say something they want to.
1: Let's start calling people out, Bill. Out. Now, I don't want to
0: call them out, but, I, I mean, I just don't. There's a lot of people that are humble, that don't want to assert themselves, that if they want to say something, I want to give them that opportunity. Okay, maybe not. Maybe they just want to be quiet.
2: Can you hear me now? Yes, Martin. I found that that verse. So in Psalm 68, uh, it states, a mountain of the gods is the mountain of Bashan. Uh, A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you look within O mountains with many peaks at the mountain which God has desired for his residence? Surely Yahweh will dwell there forever.
0: Mountain of Bashan.
2: You know, so you had where, where the, uh, the giants were? You know, that, that would, where Mount Hermon was, which is a you know, hill
0: of God, the hill in the King James version. The hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, a high hill as the hill of Bashan. Why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desires to dwell in. Yeah, Yahweh will dwell in it forever. So he's likening the children of Israel to the a hill of Bashan. I, I don't read anything so, into that.
2: So it doesn't say uh, at the mountain which uh, which God has, uh, has the, it doesn't say a mountain uh, of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Uh, why do you look within the oh, oh, mountains uh, with many peaks? What version are you reading out of? Uh, I've seen this article.
0: Oh, okay. In the North American Standard Bible, it says a mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan, but that of many is added to the text. It's in italics. Mm. A mountain peaks also, is the mountain of Bashan, and is also, the way they would. They, they had to add words to it.
2: And, and also the, the sentence before that, um, a mountain of. Of the Elohim being plural for uh, for gods. Is in 6814? It, it is the uh, 6815.
0: When the Almighty, it's not Elohim, it's Shaddai, scattered kings in it,
2: it was as white as snow and salmon. Okay. But it. it, it saying you he doesn't say anything like uh, a mountain of the of the Elohim is the mountain of Bashan. No, okay. There's no word Elohim there. And that's
0: in I Bisham. think you're probably reading some some yeah. douchebag lunatic's interpretation that he's trying to make some some narrative out of the scripture that's
2: not there. Okay, I, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll shoot the uh, the article and and see it's the
0: children of Israel occupying Bashan and and Bashan is the northern part of Israel basically it's all of Galilee and and beyond that Bashan was a pretty big kingdom back in the day but now we're, we're 700 years later after it's no longer Bashan but it's still called Bashan in scripture in some places, because it used to be the kingdom of Bashan, Ag of Bashan. In Amos chapter 4, hear this word, the kine of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria. So the children of Israel are called the kine or cattle of Bashan at that point. But that has no connection to fallen angels, and I don't believe that Psalm 68 does either. It's just using Bashan as an analogy in reference to the children of Israel. Okay. So bring that up. And that has nothing to do with Herman specifically, even though Herman was in Bashan. The mountain with, with many peaks. There were a lot of mountains in Bashan. You had the Lebanese, the Lebanon mountain chain, and the Anti-Lebanon mountain chain. There were two large mountain chains running through Lebanon, and that part of Lebanon was called Bashan okay. at one time. There were tons of mountains. Okay. Does that answer your question?
2: Um, Yeah. On that note, Hunter, I believe
0: we're in this, and thank you for moderating this this evening. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Praise Yahweh, everyone. Yeah, no problem. And perhaps in um, July, August, September, we should shoot for another one of these. I'd like to do it every two or three months. I mean, as long as we have participation, and and relevance. Relevance is important. Dasho, thanks for coming. Everybody else, Seth, of course, James, everybody else that contributed. Thank you. I love y'all, it's Eric.
3: It's always a pleasure. Bill. Yeah, way bless. Thank you, Bill. Pray God. God. God.
5: Love y'all, brothers. Stay strong.